Blog Talk Radio.
judgment comes upon the law. No time to waste, run to the cross. Drunk those lies of this age. Feels too smart to believe. Trade their future for their lust. Blindly passing, they call you to join them. Fall into the order that Satan has designed. Men getting ready to sell their soul for a chance to receive his fire. sacrifice and we we ask you to just anoint us with your love that we will fall so in love with you that we want to sing songs to you we want to tell you that you are our hero that you that you will uh, be a part of our walk in every day that we have ahead of us uh, we're excited to be able to stand before you we pray always to be found worthy by you and our father God to escape all these things that are about to come upon the earth and stand before you at the wedding supper we pray we know that we're not worthy we pray that that trickles down through our emotions and becomes a truly humble and contrite spirit and we thank you for the opportunity that you have laid before us it's not one that we clearly understand um we certainly um i, I don't know i'm utterly befuddled i will admit um i don't know wh- what I, what role i play in this other than you know whatever part of this radio show that i've been doing uh but um i think every one of us feels a little bit like that um and we just praise you father that we're not part of the group that is uh, you know waiting uh, breathlessly for uh, a man or a human being to come back and save the world, that we're living by the scripture, that we're in uh, extreme and excited, I, I mean, I don't know what the words are, but great anticipation of, the, of, of you know, being able to serve you in whatever capacity that you want us to serve you in, but also to be able to stand before you, to be at the wedding supper, to be, to have that hope and to embrace that hope and to make that the joy that we have in our hearts, even though that the things around us that we see are certainly not joyful. Um, I don't understand why anybody uh, in heaven would be jealous or I don't know what the right word is, uh, you know, wishful that they were in our position or here on the earth for the times that we're in right now, because uh, to those of us who are here, uh, it's, you know, pretty 
ugly. Um, but that's okay. Um, you know, with the darkness closing in around about us, we have an awful lot of hope. Uh, we pray that we're able to serve you in the capacity that you want for us to serve you. We pray that when you raise your hand out to us, whether it be metaphorical or in our dreams and visions, that we are excited to be able to take your hand and walk with you where, well, maybe no one has ever walked before uh, since since the scripture clearly says that greater things than these will we do because you have gone under the Father. And we praise you for that opportunity. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for every day that we're on this earth. We prayed for those of our brothers and sisters that uh, are uh, suffering plights of illness, um, you know, perhaps having no idea where it's coming from and having no resemblance to any sickness that we've ever heard of before, uh, you know, or, or that are going through awful times with their spouses or a combination of the above or, goodness gracious, Father, there's so many different trials and tribulations and difficulties that our brothers and sisters are going through. So many of them. All we just, all we're going to do, Father, is lift up every single one of them. We're just going to lift every single one of them, whether they're having awful, horrible times at work, whether they're having, uh, you know, um, just unbelievable illnesses that have no explanation that the doctors have no answer for. Uh, no matter what it is that we're going through, the difficult times, the hard times, the things that keep us up rolling around in bed all night long, Father, we just lay them at the foot of the cross. We give them to you, Lord Jesus, because we want to be at the ready to be able to serve you in the capacity that you have designed for us, you have written in our books of book of remembrance in Psalm 139 verse 16, to be followed up by Ephesians 2.10, and to please you, Father God, and to be able to touch other people's lives in a way that perhaps nobody else is able to. And, 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 if, and if that is our calling, let it so be it. Father, we are ready for whatever it is that you ask of us, and we hope that we will be found worthy to leave this place as soon as you deem it is possible. And, and of course, anybody in their right mind would understand why. We praise you with all of our hearts, Father God. We praise you, Lord Jesus, and thank you for everything that you have done for us. And we thank you for also being merciful, kind, and understanding our hearts and why we wouldn't really want to be a part of this filthy muck that is surrounding us at this time on this earth. And, and that's okay. We're here at your disposal. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we pray forever and ever. Amen. Hallelujah.
Well, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. So, um, so if I stumble and fumble tonight, if I can't figure out what it is I'm going to talk about or whatever the case is, uh, I'm, I'm just going to tell you straight up, I'm exhausted. So I'm, I'm setting the, the baseline for the program, uh, so that you're not like, man, has he lost his ever loving mind or whatever the case is? Because the answer is, I guess if fatigue can make that happen, then, um, amen, amen and amen. Uh, praise God. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't even know why, but, uh, for some unexplicable reason, uh, I, um, uh, got, unbelievably exhausted words can't describe um just prior to the show starting and i i don't know anything about it don't understand why um i it's not a dietary thing i didn't like pound a you know a, a big you know have a pound of sea chocolate down my throat right before the program or anything like that so i don't know i don't know but i'm exhausted i'm really tired and boy let me tell you something i was coming really close to canceling uh not actually canceling but pulling down the current show topic and putting back up another program Program, which, by the way, would have been really cool and you would have loved it. Um, praise God. But, um, yeah, I don't know why I'm. I don't know why I'm so utterly exhausted, uh, but I am. Uh, and I will fumble. I will not finish sentences properly. I will. It's just how it is, you know. Um, praise God. So, anyway, um, I do know that last night, I, I and I did try to take a power nap at lunch to try to see if I could do a little bit of sleep catch-up. I don't know what you want to call it. But, anyway, um I did try, uh, but uh, it didn't work out real well. I, I, I got too much on my mind. I'm coming up on a deadline with a $14 billion company out of Canada. There's much concern in on my management team side at the company that I work for now, my new company, of course. And when they're concerned, of course, naturally that trickles down to become my concern uh, because, uh, you know, they um, – it didn't really do me any good. I don't know if I, I told you about this part, but that's okay. You know, I don't, I don't dump, I don't do brain dumps all the time, um, but I do wear my heart and on my sleeve as much as possible because I figure, and so far it seems that that's true over the 12, last 12 years, that when I wear my heart on my sleeve and I share things with people, how do I feel about this? How do I feel about that? And I am totally forthcoming. In other words, I don't hold anything back, and I am just as honest as the day is long. Uh, and I think the term, it's not about being honest. It's about being forthcoming, you know, really sharing how I true, how do you, you know how people joke tongue in cheek are like, Hey, John, why don't you tell us how you really feel? So, um, you know, I want to tell people how I really feel because I think deep down inside, a lot of us are really feeling the same way. And if I, you know, I, I've said, you know, kind of tongue in cheek for many years uh, that uh, this is kind of like this program. If it, if I would like to think of it as applied Christianity, um, I, be, you know, I believe that what we're exposed to in churchianity is not applied Christianity. Okay, I think it's it's fakish Christianity. Um, and I don't mean that to be snarky, nasty, or anything like that. But, you know, when you walk in, uh, you know, I, it's, you know, of course you don't. I can understand if you're the leader of a church or an elder of a church or you're the pastor of a church and everything. Yeah, you know, you want to be encouraging and uplifting to the parishioners, etc. cetera. Um, uh, you know, and that's good. That That's good. Um, I am so thankful that, you know, there was a time when I fancied myself 
doing that kind of work, you know, standing at a podium in front of people in the church. And I'm so, oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you so desperately so much that that is not what you called me to do. Uh, because I th- feel there's just in my heart, I just feel that there's a fakiness, fakiness about it. I'm not saying that anybody's doing anything wrong. I know we're supposed to have the joy of the Lord in our heart. But I do believe with all of my heart, from the very bottom of my heart, that a lot of the folks that are standing on the stage uh, of the churches in leading praise and worship or doing whatever it is they're doing um, are a little fakish, um, you know. And um, I don't, you know, I'm not saying that. I think they go up there with the intention to be fakish, and I do. I also know what the rush feels like. Okay, I know that you can when when you get in front of people, and um, you know you're talking about the Lord, and it's a real it's a very real thing in your life. It's a very real, you know, when I talk about things that have happened to me, when I talk about many miracles that have happened to me, when I, when I relay the testimony that I have about the first watch key and and how I ran around the house with tears in my eyes, trying to figure out what it fit. And then I found out the only thing that fit in the entire house was the escape pod. You know, when I give those types of testimonies, I do have joy in my heart. I am absolutely flabbergasted. I'm flipping out. And I can't help it because my emotions are remembering intimately um, the feelings that I felt at the time that that supernatural event was actually happening to me. So from that standpoint, um, you know, I I truly do understand the joy of the Lord. I know that, you know, if we are if we were all able, you know, each night after we got off of work, as we're driving home from work or whatever our life circumstances have dealt us, that, um, you know, I really believe that if we were somehow able to divorce ourselves emotionally and mentally and maybe spiritually and solely, who knows how many, you know, but completely disconnect from the things of the world, the deadlines that we have at work, you know, the things that we've been exposed to, uh, the, the darkness that's closing in on us, you know, and all the other stuff. Because uh, ignorance is bliss, and there are a lot of incredibly ignorant people that are in churchianity. Some of them are not, though. There, there's a very, very teeny weeny, I've been very privileged and blessed uh, to be exposed to some people. People, uh, I won't say some people, I'll say one person uh, who was able to give testimony about their experience. And um, they were very blessed to have found a group of believers that are pretty much awake and aware to the vast majority. Not everything, not everything, but the vast majority of the, of the, of the things that are happening right now that are leading into the end times and the establishment of the mark of the beast and all that kind of stuff, which really puts them head and tails, you know, exits, exits, uh, entire exits ahead of the vast majority of it, as what I refer to as churchianity. Um, you know, I think most of us feel like we would like to be able to truly fellowship. And to truly fellowship means that you shouldn't have to bite your tongue. You should be able to have a conversation. You should be able to, you know, like like it says in the first half of James 5.16, uh, you know, uh, it, where, where it's just mistranslated all over the place, uh, where, you know, uh, most many, if not most of the translations say something along the line of share your trespasses or, your, or, or you know, what you, with one another that you may heal. Well, that's not what it means. I am certain of it, and um, uh, and I could sit here and go through multiple translations and get into the Greek and everything else, but I'm not going to waste time doing that. Um, uh, basically, what it means is uh, misery loves company. 
Misery loves company. I call that the misery loves company verse. Um, and, um, you know, because why would you need to heal? You know, why would I go to you and say, you know what? I was thinking about naked women this morning when I woke up and that was kind of a sin. And uh, I'm sharing that with you because I want to heal. Now, isn't that about the dumbest thing you ever heard in your life? It it ought to be because it's a mistranslation. All right. So anyway, that's not what it means. It means misery loves company. You want to be able to go to another person who's a believer and be able to say, man, these CBDCs and FedNow stuff, that's some creepy stuff. I don't want, I don't, what are we going to do when that kind of, you know, are you prepared for that? What is, what is your plan? What is your message? You know, what are you planning on doing with your family? What, you know, what, what, do you think we're going to be here by then? When do you think we're going to get raptured? You know, sharing notes back and forth, be able to discuss what your game plan is. What is your plan A? What is your plan C? Oh, I'm just going to trust in Jesus. Well, you know what? There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. As a matter of fact, I think God, God, personally, I believe with all of my heart that our Heavenly Father would rather, our Lord Jesus Christ, our King, would rather us come to a place in our walk where we have no other place to turn, where we have given up on this idea that our plan B and our plan C somehow has merit. Uh, there's some, you know, people, I've seen people say this, you know, you know, uh, man plans and God laughs, you know, and um, I can see, I can see the irony in that. I can see the truth in that, the wisdom. Um, it still doesn't take away the need that we have for fellowship and to be able to, you know, share our concerns and we, you know, without somebody telling you that, uh, you know, something just totally off the wall and wacky and wanting you to believe it when you know doggone well, it isn't true. Uh, and, and then you have to smile and, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to lie because my Bible says that liars go to get cast in the lake of fire. Okay. So, um, forget that noise. So you just kind of have to learn. There, it, it takes talent. You really have to practice it where you say, oh, God bless you, brother. You know, I didn't know that's how you felt. That's awesome. Uh, you know, and, uh, you, know, I, you know, nowadays when you, when you confront politicians or people that are being interviewed or whatever the case, they call it gaslighting. Okay, gaslighting is a term for essentially – steering the subject or the answer to the question to something different or slightly different so that the answer to the question is never answered. All right. So essentially we all, I think sometimes when we're in fellowship with multiple Christians, we have to learn the talent. I think there's a talent. Now, Jesus, what he did in front of the Sanhedrin multiple times and other, other times as well, he would simply not say anything at all. Or he would say something like, you have said so. Okay, um, that's a little bit tricky because you know in the 21st century, if you're sit, you know hanging out with a half a dozen uh, fellow believers and they look at you and say, "Did you know that Planet X is heading directly at us and it's going to smash into the Earth tomorrow at 4 p.m.?" and you know, and then you look at them and you go, "You have said so," and then you walk away. You're not going to be making a friend. That's not a, that is not a way to show love to a fellow brother and sister. So it really does take a sociological um, talent of a type to be able to choose just the right words without insulting anybody, hurting anybody's feelings, uh, but not you know, but not also alienating them. Um, and it, it, it's hard. And so, of course, a lot of us would just as soon avoid that potential confrontation. And quite frankly, uh, in most of the churchianities that are out there uh, that we, that any one of us might 
normally run into, uh, that wouldn't happen anyway. Um, there might be a little bit of a wink, wink, nod, nod about all the weird LGBT stuff getting thro- you know shoveled down our throats and all that kind of weirdness. But invariably, somebody in the group would say, but Donald Trump is loved by God, and he was chosen as the King David of this era. And Donald Trump, by golly, uh, is going to save the world, <clears throat> you know, and all that kind of stuff. And then you got to come up with a whole other way to lovingly, smilingly placate when you really want to stick your finger down your throat and yak. But you can't because you don't want to hurt the person's feelings. So, so you know, you, you, what are you going to do? You're going to put your hands on that person's shoulder and say, praise God, thank you, Jesus, hallelujah, God's will be done. And then you got to boogie like crazy and say, boy, am I thirsty, and run out to the little, whatchamacallit stand and get yourself a nice little, uh, fro- hopefully, frosty cold uh, water. All right, well, anyway, praise God. Um, you know, so it is, it is a challenging time to be alive right now. It is a challenging time to even attempt to fellowship with people. Uh, and, um, you know, we... You know, we are in a time today uh, when more than ever before we really desperately need – and I've had people ask me this. They, they're like, well, Johnny, can't we set up some sort of a social place where we can go and all talk? You know, like a forum or something like that. And there are forums out there uh, on the Internet. There are all kinds of them, and you got to just know where they are and set them up. And then you got to have mediators. And then I'll tell you exactly what's going to happen. The mediators are – if the mediators get along for any period of time at all, I mean like three months long, and they're still getting along and still agreeing on what ought to be said and what shouldn't ought to be said – that there in and of itself is an absolute miracle. So right now you're already operating on miracle time at that point. If the mediators of the forum get along and they agree on what should be said or what should not be said, that is a miracle. If that lasts for a few months, you are living a miracle. The other thing is what happens is it can be the best meaning, best – all of the people that join the forum, they may – all in their own special little way, um, absolutely adore Jesus, absolutely love the Lord. But let me tell you something. The devil will get in there so fast and cause division and hatred and make people cry, and it will turn into the biggest menagerie, the biggest, oh, oh, it's just absolutely horrible. And I, I was told by people who were working with Steve Quayle when he set up a forum and they, they actually reached out to me directly, and they said, Johnny, don't do it. Johnny, don't do it. Don't do it, my friend. God bless you. I know your heart's in the right place, but I'm, I'm begging you not to do it. And I had to go ahead and grab Lauren Peterson and this one other fellow who's not, who uh, went off his own way and felt that the Lord told him something special, and he had to leave. And, you know, there's all kinds of things, weird things that happen. The devil gets in. No matter what. You can't keep the devil out. You can't. You, people will fight over the, the names of God. Oh, well, no, it's Yah. How dare you call him your heavenly father? His name is Yah. And they'll be fighting and ripping each other's hairs out and poking each other's eyes and cussing and swearing and flipping out because you're not calling our heavenly father Yah. And I'm thinking to myself, what's the matter with you, man? What is the matter with you? Tell me one place where Jesus, where, oh, if you would prefer Yahushua, where he's called our Heavenly Father, Yah. Show it to me somewhere. You can't. But they'll fight and they'll poke each other's eyes out. They'll call each other names. And it just gets absolutely horrible. I mean, you'll end up having to pull the plug on that whole thing. 
uh, because the devil is absolutely determined, and the devil works through Christians better than any other uh, group in the entire world. Because think about it. If you had, um, you know, uh, let's say you had a thousand demons at your, or at your disposal, okay, and, 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 and you had people split up into two groups. On the right-hand side of the room are Christians, you know, or, you know or people that proclaim Jesus as Lord and Savior, all right? And then on the left-hand side, you have unbelievers. Well, and you're the devil. We'll, just pre- we'll do that, you know, we'll pretend, okay? Just let's do the exercise. And you have 1,000 demons at your disposal. Christians on your right, unbelievers on your left. You already know that the unbelievers are on an eight-lane freeway going straight to hell. So where are you going to put those 1,000 demons? You're going to put those 1,000 demons on the right-hand side. You're going to go have them go after the Christians, Okay, that is smart war tactics. And we are at war. We're at war with the devil. We're at war with the demons. We're at war with the second order demons, the principalities, the powers, the spiritual hosts, the wickedness, and rulers of darkness in high places. We're at war. We, we are. That is a part of our walk. Okay, praise God. Jesus was at war with them, and by golly, we are at war with them. Hallelujah. All right, and that's just how it is. All right, and it's, uh, it's annoying. Okay, I mean, I don't know about you, but it, it is annoying. It's a, it's an incredible challenge. Uh, it's ne- it's a never-ending battle. Um, uh, you know, I will say that at this time, but I see it with extreme care while I carefully look over my shoulders. That at this nanosecond of time, now I'll say it's been the last few days. I last few days, maybe a little bit longer. I have been blessed by what appears to be a kind of a respite, okay? But I am expecting at any time something to break loose because it always does. It always does, okay? Um, So whenever any one of us gets a period of respite, a period where we don't feel like we're under attack, um, you know, things seem to be going kind of okay, uh, you know, no giant emergencies that you got to deal with, um, you know, no panic attacks and things like that, you know, oh, no, what am I going to do? You know, I know we're supposed to, and there's always that test, that test, that Abrahamic test where you got to, like, raise up that knife above Isaac and you got to be ready to swing that knife right down into Isaac, and God's got to be able to feel in your feel feel in your heart that you're going to swing that knife, and in and in a, in a nanosecond before that muzzle twitches downward, that you know the angel or whatever says you know stop, okay, and that's really very much uh, uh, that's a very powerful uh, uh, um, illustration, if you will. Um, I'll call it an analogous illustration of what we are all anticipated or expected to do in the kingdom in our walk. No matter what it is that we're going through, our Heavenly Father and our Lord Jesus Christ are both, you know, the Lord God tests the righteous. I don't know what scripture and verse that is, but it's in the Bible, just look it up. Um, and uh, just as a matter of fact, you could Google it, you could duck, duck, go it, just t- type in the Lord God tests the righteous, tests the righteous, 
and then type the word Bible, and it'll pop right up on your screen. I do that all the time when I can't remember chapter and verse. But anyway, um, you know, uh, that testing, that refiner's fire is a continuous part of our walk. It's part of our sanctification process. And um, I don't think we ever really arrive. I, I, you know, I've used the analogy of, you know, being grabbed by the scruff of your neck and being tossed into a boxing ring and getting your ears boxed and you're, you know, just absolutely getting your honey teeth kicked in the next week. And then, you know, you finally get up, you're finally dusting yourself off. The blood has finally stopped dripping down your face and you're thinking, oh, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. And all of a sudden, the mighty hand of God comes right down from the heavens, grabs you by the scruff of the back of your neck and throws you into the other ring. And now you're with some guy that's four times the size of the guy that was boxing your ears. And then you have to go through all that. And and the trick is that you got to go through it with grace. You got to go through it without dropping a bunch of f bombs and grabbing a hammer and smacking a guy in the head. Okay, that's the problem. You know, you, we've got to have grace. We've got to be like Jesus. We've got to take. We got to be a Timex and take a beating and keep on ticking. Uh, and we got to be holy and righteous in our demeanor. And and that is really, 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 really hard. Well, it's one of the re- reasons I really love that scene uh, in the movie uh, Evan Almighty, where. Uh, you know, I guess it's Evan or whatever is out, you know, starting to build the ark and he's like swinging a hammer, swinging a hammer, swinging a hammer, pow, 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 pow. And he hits his thumb and he's like, oh, oh, I have an owie. I have an owie. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, who in their right mind would scream, I have an owie after smashing your hammer with a full blown swing from, you know, it's like, it's just so funny. Uh, But anyway, uh, but also, extremely apropos. It's very appropriate because that's exactly what our Heavenly Father is looking for. Our Heavenly Father is looking for us to behave just like Jesus. If you can show me anywhere in the Bible where when Jesus was taking the 40 stripes or whatever, where when, when he was being spat upon and insulted and horrifically treated and beaten and all those things that happened to him, which are unspeakable and I can't even think of, let alone envision them. I, I can't watch Passion of the Christ. Forget that noise. I don't want to come within a thousand miles of that movie. I can't. I'll just sit there and ball so hard. I'll ball so hard that it will take me at least two weeks uh, to do, you know, saline flushes to be able to breathe again. Okay, so, you know, I know what my limitations are. Uh, but um, but when you think about it, you know, that's kind of where God's looking to us to be like. Our Heavenly Father wants us to be able to get into that next boxing ring, and then the next boxing ring, and then the next boxing ring, and then the next boxing ring, and take a beating and come out, you know, saying, praise God, thank you, Jesus, hallelujah, while the blood is coming out our ears and our nose, and two of our teeth are hanging off our gums. And, you know, God wants us to be, our Heavenly Father wants us to become Jesus. We're not supposed to react in a negative way. We're not supposed to be reaching for earthly weapons. We're not even supposed to be thinking about earthly weapons. Okay? I mean, yes, I do admit that I have a, a picture of Klaus Schwab with an inside target up on, on the, up, high up on a shelf in the room here, and I got an airsoft, a CO2 airsoft BB pistol, and I sometimes I, I hear something that he's quoted as saying on the Internet, we are going to kill you and take your body parts off and you will eat bugs and all it. And then I'm just like, ah, and I reach back for my airsoft BB, you know, pistol, whatever. Then I'm like, pop, 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 pop. And I shoot at Klaus Schwab and it makes me feel better, but it is 
a symbolic gesture at best. And yes, when I see that entity from the bowels of hell, he's definitely a reptilian. Only a reptilian, I, I, and I think I told everybody on the show about the guy uh, that was the ski instructor that was there at Davos 2023 and actually had this entity walk up beside him and said, you know, he, he confirmed it. He confirmed it. And, and we'll just leave it at that. But anyway, um, so we're not talking about a human anyway. All right. It's not human. It, that thing is long already completely perfectly possessed as Dr. or as uh, fa- excuse me, as Father Malachi Martin would have put it. Wow, I got the hiccups. Isn't that nice? All right, praise God. So anyway, um, uh, you know, so this show will fall where this show falls, and so be it. Praise Jesus. Um, but um, I did get an awful lot of letters from people, um, and it was a, it was a wonderful blessing. I mean, it really was. I, I got a lot of a, a good number of emails from people that were very blessed over the uh, the, the two programs that I did on uh, you know Jesus and the universe and sons of God and aliens and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I got a, a, a significant number of communications from the listeners uh, about how much they appreciated those programs, and I also got a surprising. I guess I don't know why. I, why I found it surprising, but I did a little bit, uh, communications from some of the listeners about uh, my rant on the last show about day-tight compartments, day-tight compartments, okay? And it's true. We really do have to learn to live in those day-tight compartments because if we don't, I don't think we're going to be able to chisel. You know, every day is just, you know, can, can you imagine what if I actually said this to my boss the other day? I said to him, can you know, we're, you know, yeah, we were talking about all of the trials, tribulations, impossible things that happened while I'm working with this $14 billion client up in Canada. Everything that could have gone wrong with the project, it went wrong. <laughs> okay, I'll just leave it at that. It went wrong. And my boss keeps going, no, 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 we're going to have to charge him more money. No, 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 we're going to have to do this. And, you know, no, we're not going to do another doggone degnabbit. And I have to, like, calm him down. You know, he's a very calm guy anyway, but, you know, but he, he gets all, you know, sparky about that stuff. And I'm like, no, no, hold on a second, hold on a second. I said, I, I always, you know, bring it down a notch for him. And I'm like, I believe that everything is going to be just fine. So we all just need to take a chill pill, let nature take its course. Everything is going to be just fine. And, um, you know, and I just, you know, kind of call him down out of the tree uh, because, you know, it doesn't um, frustratedness, worry, um, stress, anxiety, concern. Depression, all these negative emotions, do you know, they are highly contagious, highly contagious. In fact, not only are they contagious to the people around us, but they're contagious to ourselves. Once you get yourself in that downward spiral, it becomes a self-inflicting contagion against you. As a matter of fact, I was doing some study on this because um, I love self-help books. I love uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, and I love to take these things that these various specialists believe that they figured out about human behavior, and then they write a little book or a booklet or whatever, and they teach everybody their pearls of wisdom, and I sit there and I smile to myself because I'm like, okay, that there is Psalm 83, verse 2, uh, that there is John 4, uh, uh, 8, uh, that there's Romans 14, verse 4, you know, because that's, you know, I just look at it and say, all you're doing is you're quoting the Bible. All you're doing is you're quoting the Bible. 
you might be using different words, but at the end of the day, you're simply quoting the Bible. And it's fascinating when you look at all this stuff, these self-help books, cognitive behavioral therapy, which is just basically a fancy, fancy way of saying that you think about your behavior. Cognitive meaning mindful, using your brain, cognitive, okay, behavioral therapy. Translated, that means you use your brain to think about how you're behaving, and then you change the way you think, and uh, and you change the way you behave so that you create a type of a therapy, okay, through repetition, through different practices, et cetera, et cetera. It's a fancy, fancy way to charge you a whole bunch of money for your silly 40, you know, whatever book or whatever. Um, the reality is that these are just things that are wisdom, pearls of wisdom from our Heavenly Father and the Holy Spirit. Praise God. And that's what, for me, what makes them so exciting and to be able to realize things like, and it's very true, the very, the, the, what, when you get out of bed in the morning, the way that you feel when you get out of bed, if you if you get out of bed and you're like, oh, man, I can't believe it's only Tuesday. Oh, oh man, my deadline's right around the corner. I, oh, no. And you're holding your back and you're walking through the room and it's negative, 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 negative. And you're not living in a daytight compartment and you're thinking about all that negative, negative. You know what? That's contagious. And it's going to, that contagion, what you've done is you've released a negative thought contagion upon yourself and it's going to follow you throughout throughout the day what we need to do is using our cognitive behavioral thought processes we are going to flip that around we're going to get out of bed and we're going to go we're going to raise our hands and go thank you jesus hallelujah everything's going to go awesome today Everything is going to go awesome today. Father, I praise you. I thank you, Lord. I praise you. I'm laying my hand on my knee, and I command it in the mighty name of Jesus to be thou made whole in Jesus' name. Praise God. Everything is going to go awesome. I am making Mount Rushmore, and of course, it looks impossible until it's finished. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. And then you get up and go make you a cup of coffee. Then you get up and go do what you got to do or let the dogs out or whatever. Okay, but you start the day off with positive affirmations. It is not silly. It is exactly what God would have us do. Uh, get up and say, this is the day. This is the day that the Lord hath made. You forget about that stupid old deadline. You forget about how mean so-and-so's been to you. You you forget, you get rid of it. Daytight compartments. I, I, like I said, I even said to my boss the other day, I said, can you imagine what the, what the sculptors felt like right after they got their first installment to, to create Mount Rushmore? Can you imagine the first day of putting down the scaffolding off the top of the mountain? And looking at that gigantic rock 
and you're on this piece of scaffolding and you're looking over at the other guy and you got a team of three or four people and you, you look over to your left and there's Charlie. You look over to your right and there's Tony. You look down a little bit to your left and there's Bob and you yell over to him and go, what kind of morons are we for taking this job? What are we crazy? How hungry are we? We should have done something else for a living. We've got to be absolutely nuts. Can you imagine the, how the people, how the sculptors of Mount Rushmore felt when they first started the project? I can't. I mean, I really can't. Can you imagine how absolutely bat poop crazy they must have figured they were by the end of the week, the first week? <laughs> Can you imagine them sitting in the local bar and grill, you know, having a couple of, uh, I don't know what kind of beer you can drink anymore nowadays without it being LGBT, LMNOP, whatever, but, um, you know, whatever, sitting down, maybe having some local stuff, you know, uh, Mount Rushmore Brew or something, and looking at each other going, no, 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 I, I, I'm absolutely convinced that we are all utterly insane, Here's to being insane. And they clink their glasses together and have a few french fries or whatever. I mean, I just can't imagine that. And, you know, sometimes when I look around at this Klaus Schwab, CBDC, FedNow, you know, uh, you know, people dropping over like flies from the vax, um, another whole attack wave of COVID sweeping across the land, which it is, which it is. Even here in the state of Florida, I call up my doctor just to get an extension on one of my meds. And um uh and and it's like big old announcement. If you have any any if anything that even slightly resembles COVID or seeding or whatever, press nine. And let me tell you something. You cannot press any other button to get around that announcement. You can't. They have set that bad boy up so that you gotta sit right there and outweight that computer. You got to sit right there and you got to let them go. Blah, 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 COVID-19, blah, 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 telemed, telemed, blah, 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 mass, 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 blah, 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 blah. And then you got to sit there and wait for them to do it in Spanish. Salida, 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 enchilada, a burrito, a burrito, a burrito, a CV-19, mask, masco, masco, you know, and then you're like, and then you pause and you wait. You wait a little longer, and then they say, if you would like to speak to or set an appointment, please press 1. But you've got to be smart enough. You've got to know. If, it doesn't matter if you're calling CVS. It doesn't matter if you're calling Walgreens. It doesn't matter if you're calling your PCB. It doesn't matter who you're calling. You've got to wait until they go through this big rigmarole about, you know, in the meantime. Anyway, I'll tell you what. I could soapbox on this subject for four hours. Praise God. And then I get a call this morning from my uh, a guy that I use all the time for um, uh, he builds things. He's a really good carpenter and he, he I, I put him to work and stuff and he works for a very afford, affordable price, etc. Um, and he does some incredible things. Well, I get a call from him this morning saying, uh, hey, or no, it was a text message. Hey, bro, uh, well, looks like COVID finally caught up with me, and I don't know if I'll ever see you again. Please say a prayer for me. See, he's got deadly COPD. 
really bad, the super bad stuff. That's why I want to get him some NAC. Uh, N-acetylcysteine, <clears throat> NAC, N-A-C. I want to get him on like 3,000 milligrams of uh, N-A-C, NAC, uh, because it has some properties. Now, granted, it doesn't work for everybody, and that's fine. Uh, it seems to be working pretty good for me for a number of things, but it's not perfect, and it's not going to solve all your problems. Simple as that. And some people, it just doesn't help at all. It's just the way it is. But um, for me, it seems to be working very well. And one of the they, uh, Fauci, look, if I ever find out about an herbal supplement or an amino acid or anything on the internet that Dr. Fauci banned during the pandemic, I got to have as much as I can get. <laughs> Let me tell you something straight up. If he bans this, whatever it's called, I don't care if it's called dinosaur whatever. Uh, dinosaur eyeballs. Okay. If I find out that Dr. Fauci banned dinosaur eyeballs and suddenly they're available again on Amazon, homie's going out to Amazon and buying as many dinosaur eyeballs as he can get his hands on. <laughs> okay. Praise God. And then I was looking, I was looking for something that was, uh, Oh, there's so much stuff folks. Anyway, but anyway, I'm not going to get into that cause it's a whole nother show. But then I got, like I said, I got, then I called him up. I called up Mike and I talked to him in person. I said, Mike, whatever you do, do not let them put you on a respirator. Tell them no respirators. Get out of here. Get frisky with them. All right. So he told me, I promise I will. I won't let them give me a respirator for any reason or whatever. And I said, okay, good job. And I said, you're going to be just fine. Just pray about it. I'll be praying for you and that kind of thing. But that was another thing that got tossed at me this morning. So the devil's always going to be throwing watermelons in your bowling alley. You're always going to be getting grabbed by the scruff of the neck and thrown into a bigger, meaner boxing ring than you could have ever imagined. Something bad will happen to you again. You can believe it. The trick is... To get up in the morning, praise God, lift your hands. This is the day that the Lord hath made. Believe it, believe it, believe it, believe it. Don't be shy. Tell the Lord you're troubled. You don't like this, but you're going to trust him. They'll walk you through it. Everything is going to be just fine. I trust you, Father. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. And I know that you're going to get me through, and I'm not going to worry about it. Not one little tiny inkling. Not an iota. Hallelujah, because I have already won this battle, and I plead your blood upon me, and I plead that holy fire of God to burn any demon of darkness that so much as sets its will against me, no matter what. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And I am living in day-tight compartments. Praise you, Lord. And that's, and that's how you got to be. You cannot, look, you can't face going back up to Mount Rushmore, okay, you know, and expect to get a good night's sleep which actually was what happened to me last night, which is probably contributing to my fatigue tonight. But anyway, I did get a bunch of emails from folks saying, wow, that really touched me, blessed me, whatever the words were that they chose to use regarding the date-type compartments rant. Okay, But I mean it. I, it. I believe it with all of my heart. I honestly believe that if the guys that, were, that created Mount Rushmore went to bed that night thinking about what they had to do the next day at Mount Rushmore – None of them would have ever slept, and then they would have died because they would have made a mistake, fallen off their little whatever, and <laughs> splat, you know, that kind of thing. So, you know, you just can't. You can't let it happen. Um, 
So anyway, praise God. Um, and, and, and here's the irony. I, I find myself, and I don't even understand why this is happening to me, and I'm laying in my bed, and I'm tossing and turning, tossing and turning, and I'm thinking about this, thinking about that, thinking about this, thinking about that, and I'm thinking to myself, hey, 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 you're breaking the day-tight compartment rules. But the problem was I was on the cusp. That's the problem. Because when I looked at that clock, I was like, I'm only a few hours away from having to get up. So I was almost technically in the other day. Okay, and then I was thinking about, well, I don't have this, and I don't have that, and I think I forgot this, and I think I forgot that, and I'm going to have to – so anyway, and the funny thing about it was when I went back and I reviewed all the things that I was worried about, I really didn't have anything to worry about. Praise God. So um, I added a few more uh, finishing touches to it and tossed it over the wall to my boss for him to review. We'll see tomorrow whatever he wants me to change, whatever. But um, anyway, so – but I, I got through, and uh, you know, um, I think I managed to – chisel away enough at my mountain of fun, uh, tongue-in-cheek, to claim that I've got a pretty good start on Abraham Lincoln's eyebrow. Praise Jesus. All right, hallelujah. So anyway, um, here we are. It is now June the 14th, Wednesday. Uh, I feel woken up now for some reason. I don't know why, uh, but that's okay. And we're going to go ahead and plow our way through this show. I don't want to play some things, talk about some stuff. I don't know if any of it will touch you. I don't know if any of it will mean anything to you. I don't know if you would rather listen to somebody over in, um, you know, maybe there's a lot of Russian prophets that are prophesying all sorts of things. Uh, I have a friend, you know, I've mentioned her before many times, and she listens to and reads a lot of them. Um, I I listen to and read what I read, what the Lord has brought to me, uh, and um, and I don't worry about it. I mean, thus far, we're still waiting for a major tide of events to turn. Okay, we all, I think a lot of us were looking at Papacata Petal. Um, and the state of Papacata Petal is such that it, its top could blow at any moment. We know that, but it didn't. It did not cause the megaquake that was to hit uh, Mexico City. So we're still sitting on the same waiting game as we were before. What about the Cascadia subduction zone? What's up with that? Is Papacata Petal, according to, according, according to Randy Hecker, Papacata Petal blows before the Cascadia subduction zone. And he thinks they start the Cascadia subduction zone event with HARP. Could he be right? Maybe he is. But remember, there's always a margin of error. There's always a margin of error. No matter who it is, <clears throat> and no matter who prophesies or has a dream or a vision, There are going to be things that they see, experience, that are wrong. I mean, they're flat out, cannot deny it, bar none, wrong. Because we all see through the mirror dimly, and we all prophesy in part. And that's just how it is, and that's why it is imperative. It is is imperative that all of us know our Bible as best as we possibly can. All right, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Anyway, so we're just going to kind of plink, plink around um, uh, on, um, uh, uh, you know, tonight and kind of review a few things that we're, you know, maybe, maybe not looking out for. Talk a little bit about where we are and what, what may happen, but we don't know. Uh, the bottom line is that we might have a pretty good list of some pretty big events that we have multiple cross Confirmations, And when I say cross-confirmations, I mean we have empirical evidence, 
For example, the shooting of the two tactical nukes into the base of the Fort Al facility in Iran from F-16s or F-22s or F-35s or whatever, we have so much evidence to prove that that is absolutely going to happen that it's undeniable. Simple as that. It's undeniable. So um, we know that's coming for sure. Okay, so that's one we can like put like five check marks, you know, check, 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 check. We know for sure it's coming. We just don't know when. We also know that it's going to break the um, nuclear response in kind dynamic. You know, the whole once that occurs, all bets are off and anybody can use nuclear weapons. As a matter of fact, that's exactly what is going to happen. But um, it ain't going to be the end of the world. It ain't going to be the global thermonuclear war that every, you know people think it is. It ain't going to be the doomsday clock going and hitting striking 12 and everybody dies and blah, blah, blah. I don't even know where people get that, that idea. I, I don't – you know, if you can drop the bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki and now Japan is like prospering like crazy, and I don't know if you've ever visited there, but it's beautiful. Where they drop the bomb, it's gorgeous. It's overgrown. It's oh, just absolutely gorgeous. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, uh, so, you know, this whole thing about a nuclear winter and the whole world's going to, you know, and all the food's going to die and everybody's going to die and all that. I'm not really sure where the scientists got that notion in their head, but it cert, cert, we certainly, as humans on this planet, we have evidence to indicate that that notion is not true. Um, and um, I, I don't know who came up with that, but I don't care. All right, praise God, thank you, Jesus. I just look at the facts and figures, okay, and that's it. I don't care about the rest of it. And I also acknowledge that whatever we think we know or whatever I think I know is a tiny part of the story. It doesn't include all the stuff, no pandemic stuff. We know they're going to release another whatever version of a pandemic. They might have already released some other creepy stuff. Where did this new wave of COVID come from? What does my friend Vera have? <laughs> She's got some freaky, weird thing going on. I mean, you know, it's like we don't know. And what we don't – there's so much we don't know. We are so much we don't know. And, again, I will remind you over and over again, J. Vernon McGee in his book, Through the Bible. He was a pastor's pastor. He was at his prime in the 1950s. Uh, and, 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 oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness. In his book, Through the Bible, he said, God hath given us very few details. Now, quite frankly, he was talking about the gap theory and stuff like that, and his focus was on pre-Adamic man and all that kind of stuff. But when he said God hath given us very few details, you can apply that across everything that is God, everything that happens on earth. You know, we are always and forever given very, very few details. God only gives us some, not all, some of the big stuff. And when Amos 3, 7 says, Surely the Lord God does nothing without first revealing it through his servants' prophets. When it says that, here's the thing. What if one of those prophets prophesied it in 1919 and it's already said and done and none of us know about it well god held up his end of the bargain he did exactly what the scripture says just because we didn't hear it don't mean diddly so there could be gazillions of things out there that have been prophesied that we haven't heard and we don't have on our list so we just have to look at what we feel are the top items for whatever reason, assume that there's a bunch of other ugly that's woven in there, assume that we have maybe a little bit of a guess 
on maybe the order of the events to some degree, but expecting to have to flip that around a couple of times. Um, and always, 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 always wonder, when are we leaving? The, now, again, I'm operating currently under the assumption that because at the end of the third seal, which is global financial collapse, it says do not harm the oil or the wine. That is a direct reference to the bride of Jesus Christ. And my assumption, this is an assumption, my assumption is that that must be inclusive of the barley harvest. And if that is a proper assumption, I prefer the word estimation, quite frankly, um, then um, if that's a proper estimation of what the, the intent of that scripture was meant to be there for, then that would mean that, that, we, that the barley harvest has got to be here for at least a global financial collapse. And if history repeats itself, which it tends to do pretty often, if not all the time, then the global financial collapse would be like the Weimar Republic, which triggered Nazi Germany, and so on and so forth. And at the end of the day, it would certainly be the trigger that would cause World War III to break out gangbusters. Not that World War III hasn't already kind of, sort of, maybe kind of broke out a little bit, but um, no, not nothing like it's going to. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. And on that note, let's go ahead and uh, kids, you ready for a couple of jokes? <laughs> kids, how do cows do math? How do cows do math? With cow-culators. <laughs> like me, a cow-culator. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm a wuss. Okay. When will the little snake arrive? When will the little snake arrive? I don't know, but he won't be long. <laughs> he won't be long. He's a little snake, right? <laughs> okay. Cool. All right, kids. Why did Dracula lie in the wrong coffin? He made a grave mistake. Ugh, kids. I don't know. Kids, come on. Snap out of it. Spanky, put down the... Pa- oh. Now, hey, Spanky, hold up that, that notepad. Let me see what that says. Oh. Spanky just spanked me for having a Dracula joke. We can't have those Dracula jokes. All right, praise God. And, and you know what? I agree with you, Spanky. Good job there, buddy. All right, and, uh, and uh, let's go ahead and head into the news. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? It's not normal. It's just wrong. Uh, wrong. It's not normal. This is disturbing. <laughs> Game over. All right, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. I'm looking at the clock. We just burned an hour. We got two hours left. So let's see, maybe an hour of the news. I got I got to kind of figure this out because there's a lot of really good stuff I'd like to play. For example, this is Tucker Carlson's third installment while the reptilians at Fox are threatening, threatening, threatening him and all this kind of stuff. And I think 
Carlson's probably had a conversation with his lawyers, and they're like, you know, tell them to just bring it on. Let's just spank them in court and humiliate them. But anyway, um, let's go ahead and listen to this. It's pretty powerful. All right. Praise Jesus. Here we go. And this is like, you know, kind of like post-Trump indictment. Carlson. The Biden administration arrested Donald Trump this afternoon. They had him arraigned and fingerprinted in a Miami courthouse like the accused felon he now technically is. These were the first steps in a process that is designed to put Donald Trump behind bars for the rest of his life. Cable News carried every moment of it live. It's unprecedented, they told us, with what looked like shock. But they weren't shocked. They knew this was coming. Everyone who's paid attention knew it was. What just happened was always going to happen. It's been inevitable since February 16, 2016. That's the day Donald Trump made a blood enemy of the largest and most powerful organization in human history, which would be the federal government. Despite what you may remember, it wasn't anything that Trump had said about immigration or trade with China or rapists from Mexico. Those are the stories that dominated the headlines that year. Trump's a racist, they screamed, stop him. But inside Washington, that was just noise. None of it really raided. Identity politics doesn't mean much to permanent Washington. What matters then and now is foreign policy, the invasions and occupations and proxy wars, the decisions that determine which global populations will thrive and which will die, the policies that come with trillion-dollar price tags, the ones that over time have made the counties around D.C. the richest suburbs in the world. In Washington, that's what actually matters. And it's obvious when you look carefully. When there's a debate about anything else, for example, the debt ceiling, both sides take their assigned positions and they start yelling. But when Congress decides to start a war, no matter how foolish or counterproductive or obviously disconnected from America's core interests that war may be, when that happens, the leaders of both parties automatically jump behind it like circus clowns. And then they stay there, sometimes for decades, they defend that war relentlessly against all evidence until somebody finally rings the all-clear bell and they can begin to admit that actually, maybe it wasn't such a great idea. We meant well, but it just didn't work out. The good news is we've learned a lot of important lessons. In the end, they usually do say something like that, but only after emotions have cooled and the damning details have begun to fade from collective memory. It's an apology that's not actually an apology, much less repentance, and it's years too late to matter in any case. But until then, that's all you're getting. Until then, no dissent is allowed. That's the first rule of Washington. But somehow, Trump didn't bother to follow it. He is from out of town, so maybe he didn't know it was a rule, or maybe he just didn't care. Either way, seven and a half years later, we can point to the precise moment that permanent Washington decided to send Donald Trump to prison. Here it is. It's from the Republican candidates debate in Greenville, South Carolina. We should have never been in Iraq. We have destabilized right. the Middle East. They lied. Okay. They said there were weapons of mass destruction. There were none. And they knew there were none. There were no weapons of mass right. okay. destruction. Okay. All right. Go. We should never have been in Iraq, Trump said. We destabilized the Middle East. Now, by the time Trump said that, a lot of Republican primary voters were starting to reach the same conclusion. How could they not? But it was the next line that doomed Trump to today's arrest. They lied, he said. There were no weapons of mass destruction, and they knew there were none. Now, when he said that, a few in the crowd booed. Most just sat there in silence, stunned. Can he say that? Well, he said it anyway. 
And by saying that, he sealed his fate. That was the one thing you were not allowed to say because it implicated too many people on both sides, which on this topic is really just one side. Hillary Clinton was guilty of it, but so was Paul Ryan. All of them were guilty. They all knew they all lied. And to a person, they hated Donald Trump for exposing them. After that, it was pretty clear that even if he did get elected president, Trump was going to have a very hard time controlling the federal government he was supposed to be in charge of. Most of permanent Washington decided that thwarting Trump was the single most important mission in their lives. Everything depended on it. Many of them said so publicly, but others didn't say so publicly. In fact, the stealthier ones took another path. They ran toward Trump, not away from him. They sucked up to him. They ingratiated themselves to the man they intuitively understood was susceptible to flattery, which Trump is. And they did this in order to subvert his new administration from the inside. There were a number of these, and you could spot them immediately. They were flatterers. Invariably, the ones who flattered Trump the most hated him the most and disagreed the most strongly with his views. You saw them in the hallways of the White House and at press conferences. They were there slobbering over their boss with elaborate self-abasement, as if they were addressing a monarch or a god. It was a scene from the Ottoman court. It was filthy and decadent, and it was false. Mike Pence, Nikki Haley, Mike Pompeo, Lindsey Graham in the Congress, they all called Trump a visionary genius up until the moment he lost power. And then they unsheathed their real agenda, as always the neocon war agenda, and they piled on with maximum force. Here's Mike Pompeo, for example, on Fox News this morning. President Trump had classified documents where he shouldn't have had them. And then when given the opportunity to return them, he chose not to do that for whatever reason. When somebody identifies that, you've got to turn them in. And so that's just, that's inconsistent with protecting America's soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines. And if the allegations are true, some of these were pretty serious, important documents. And so that's wrong. May future historians hoping to unlock the mysteries of late Empire Washington study that clip because it will reveal everything. That very same Mike Pompeo, the one who's sneering at Donald Trump on TV this morning, that guy served Donald Trump as both CIA director and as Secretary of State. It was the two most powerful jobs in the federal government. And as he worked in those jobs, Pompeo promised, in fact, he swore to support the president's agenda. Why? Because that's the way a democracy works. You vote for a candidate in the belief that his appointees will carry out the policies that you voted for. It's not about the president, it's about you, the voter. But Pompeo didn't do that. He didn't even try to do that. In fact, he undermined Trump's often stated commitment to peace and non-intervention abroad at every turn. His every waking hour was devoted to fomenting war in some faraway foreign country or other. Iran, Syria, Russia, North Korea, the list goes on. But rather than telling Trump that he disagreed with his ideas, as a man would, Pompeo toadied up to Trump, a man he despised, in the oiliest, most over-the-top way imaginable. Ask anyone who worked in that White House at the time. Who is the appointee most likely to tell Donald Trump on a daily basis that he was handsome, virile, sleek, and powerful? Mike Pompeo. That will be the consensus answer. Those of us who saw firsthand Pompeo's relentless kowtowing will never forget it. It was indelibly repulsive. No one with self-respect could do something like that. But Mike Pompeo did it effortlessly, with relish and verve. Now, this same person is telling Fox News viewers that he fears for the safety of our military, our soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines, in the approved phrase, 
because Donald Trump took some classified documents home and didn't immediately return them to the National Archives? What a lie that is. Mike Pompeo knows that's a lie. He spent his entire life in Washington. Washington is a city where internal memos about Labor Day are classified because everything is classified. Your government has classified more than a billion federal documents, most of them boring and pointless and a danger to no one, and locked them away in secret where you can't see them because you may be an American citizen, but not really, and therefore you don't have the necessary clearances to know what's going on. And by the way, none of this is done in order to make America safer, any more than COVID restrictions were designed to keep you healthy. No, it's a cast, that's the point, and you're the untouchable in this hierarchy. Mike Pompeo knows that. Everybody who works in Washington knows that. How many secret documents do you think Dick Cheney took home with him while he was running the Iraq war? How many did his wife read? She never had a clearance. We'll never know the answer because there is no chance Dick Cheney will ever be investigated or his staffers will be told to wear wires in his presence. He will never be indicted for this. Of course not. Dick Cheney is a neocon. Donald Trump is not. Dick Cheney supports war with Russia. Trump does not. That's the difference. The rest is just a distraction. The prosecution of Donald Trump is transparently political. He's literally Joe Biden's main political opponent. He's polling over 60% among Republican voters right now. So Joe Biden is doing what no president has ever dared to do. He's using law enforcement to lock up his chief rival. That's happening right now. Anyone who denies it's happening is lying to you. But actually it's worse than that. Trump's prosecution isn't just political, it's ideological. Nobody with Trump's views is allowed to have power in this country. Criticize our wars and you're disqualified. If you keep it up, we'll send you to prison. That's the message Washington is sending. Not just the Democratic Party is sending, but both parties are sending. Like so many Republicans, for example, the supposedly conservative governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, spent yesterday totally ignoring the destruction of the American justice system. Instead, he signed a highly important bill called the Crown Act, which according to the celebratory tweet Abbott sent commemorating it, will, quote, prohibit discrimination based on textures and hairstyles historically associated with race. In other words, in Texas, cornrows are now protected by law. Having unapproved views about Ukraine is not. That's fine with most elected Republicans. They find Trump tiresome and embarrassing. Their donors hate him. They will not be sad if he dies in jail. But what about voters? What are they learning from this spectacle? Well, mostly they're learning that they have no power at all because nobody cares about them. But they already knew that. Unlike so many of our elected leaders, they have been to America recently. They know what it looks like. Have you seen it? If you've got a few days this summer, find out. Take a road trip and see for yourself. Drive 500 miles in any direction and then come home. How are things looking? Well, they should look great. The federal government spent $6.5 trillion last year. That's more than any government has ever spent, ever. So at the very least, you would expect pristine public roads. Oh, no. That's not what you see when you drive around this country. There are potholes and Jersey barriers everywhere. Looks like Tegucigalpa before the Chinese decided to rebuild the infrastructure of Honduras. We don't have China buying our roads. So they're falling apart. You'd think the people you would pass on your road trip would look happy and prosperous. Again, this is a very rich country, but a lot of them don't. Quite a few appear to be strung out on drugs. You see them shuffling by shuttered storefronts in small towns. And you wonder, as you see all of this, where did all the money go? It's certainly not here. Well, it's in Washington. It's in Fairfax and Loudoun County 
and in leafy, perfectly manicured Northwest D.C. And of course, a huge chunk of it went to Ukraine, to Zelensky and his friends. Not because you voted for that. You didn't vote to give it to them. You never would. But because Joe Biden and his many allies, from Chuck Schumer to Mitch McConnell to Paul Ryan and every single news anchor on all of television, all of them believe that Ukraine, its borders, its future, its infrastructure are all more important than the town that you live in. They sincerely think that, and it's obvious. Everyone in power thinks that, except for Donald Trump. Whatever else you say about him, Trump is the one guy with an actual shot of becoming president who dissents from Washington's long-standing pointless war agenda. And for that, that one fact, they're trying to take Trump out before you can vote for him. And that should upset you more than anything that's happened in American politics in your lifetime. Even if you don't plan to vote for Donald Trump, even if you would die before voting for Donald Trump, which is your right and a lot of good people feel that way, even still, the destruction of our democracy, which is the right of voters to support any candidate they want, even candidates who don't want war with Russia, the destruction of that should keep you up at night. Yes, Donald Trump is a flawed man, but his sins are minor compared to those of his persecutors. In this life, we don't get to choose our martyrs. We can only choose our principles, and America's are at stake. All right. <clears throat> I let that whole thing go. That's a, that's a world record for, <laughs> for this radio show, a 13-minute dialogue. But you know what? Um, I don't think a millisecond of that dialogue was wasted. Um, it, very poignant, to the point, dead on the money, absolutely accurate. And, you know, um, we have talked on this show about Trump's incredible, unsinkable pride and the weaknesses associated with all of that and yada, yada, blah, blah, whatever. So anyway, I think I, I just felt in my heart that it was worth repeating. Um, it it had at least 30, I don't know how many, but a bunch of really unbelievably accurate and uh, I, I mean, I, I, I'm flabbergasted. I, this is the second time I've heard it, and I'm still flabbergasted at how accurate it really is accurate. I mean, every single thing he said is accurate. And and anyway, so we're going to move on. All right, the next the next uh, audio bite I want to play here is a, a snippet from Redacted, and basically the subtitle of this snippet is Putin and China have dealt a knockout blow. Let's take a listen to this. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Here we go. Hold on. Sadly, we are watching the swift decline of the United States and the U.S. dollar happening right in front of us in real time. This is bad. This week, we got the clearest sign yet that America's Middle East policy has failed, and Putin and China now have a massive upper hand. So what's actually happening to the United States is actually worse than we thought, because if the Earth is a giant geopolitical chessboard, China and Russia just put the United States in check. Or maybe a better analogy, actually, for the United States right now, like it's like they're rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic, and it's not going to stop what's coming. We have three major pieces of news that the mainstream media is ignoring this week, and they're actively trying to distract you from what's really going on. Once again, they're doing this. They want Joe Biden reelected, so they're not going to tell you the truth. Now, I'm going to get to these bombshell stories in a minute, but first, China. You can't even make this up. China just announced the building of a brand new military base, not in the South China Sea, not in Vietnam, not in East Asia somewhere. No, China is building a new military base in Cuba, in our own backyard. Poke the Chinese dragon, and this is what happens. 
the United States has more than 750 military bases around the world, and they're building three new ones in China's backyard. China announcing that they're teaming up with the, the highly sanctioned Cuba. I was going to say very sanctioned. No, highly sanctioned Cuba to build a base that they admit will be used to spy on American shipping and naval traffic. The Chinese are admitting openly, we're building a base to spy on you, and we're going to do it in your backyard. The Chinese dragon is moving west, and we cannot stop it. Now, you'll recall that the United States invoked what's known as the Monroe Doctrine to force the Soviet Union to remove missiles from Cuba during the Cuban Missile Crisis. The United States claims that a document written by a U.S. President James Monroe in the year 1823 somehow would keep foreign powers from setting up camp in the Western Hemisphere. We've actually believed this. We, we say it publicly. It was meant to keep Europe from meddling in Puerto Rico or Cuba or Mexico. So will sleepy Joe Biden invoke the Monroe Doctrine once again, telling China, hey, see this document here written by our president in 1823 means you can't build a military base in our backyard. Will China give a crap? Just look at the amount of U.S. military bases surrounding China right now. Shit is about to get real between the United States and China. And that's not even the biggest news of the week. Right, I'm going to inject a thought. What he's not thinking of, which is unfortunate, is that Biden and Obama and all these shape-shifting entities from the bowels of the hell, from the very dredge of the, oh, the, the, the awful stench of the bottom of the lake of fire that are running this country right now, they're in bed with China. They are in bed with Klaus Schwab. And I'm, you know, when I say that, I actually think to myself, you know, it sounds like it's kind of like a colloquialism to say that they're in bed together, but I really think they are for real in bed together. Now, all that being said, as disgusting as all that is, the World Economic Forum, you know, uh, uh, you know, Tucker Carlson had made a kind of a snotty remark about Greg, Greg Abbott and his supposed claim to be a Republican. Well, it turns out that Greg Abbott, the uh, governor of Texas, is actually a member of the WEF. So you got to look at who plays in their sandbox. OK, so when you know that Biden and that scandal and Obama and all these other freaks, these shapeshifters, these filthy animals, these second order demons, these fallen angelic pieces of. Ugh, OK, when you realize that they're all they're pointing to China as being the model country for the Great Tribulation and the New World Order and the Global Reset. You can call it bananas, you can call it papayas, you can call it mangoes, but at the end of the day, it's a big pile of bovine feces. And when you look at who all's playing in the sandbox together, you think for, you know, the very fact that Clayton Morris, God bless his sweetheart, but he's, he's way off here. He's saying, do you think Biden's going to do anything about China setting up a base in, um, in uh, Cuba? Well, really what Clayton, my friend here, Clayton, <laughs> like he has any idea I exist and cares. But the point is, he's not really thinking it through very clearly. 
if he was really thinking it through very clearly, he would know that that isn't even a question that you ask rhetorically. And the reason that you don't ask it rhetorically is because the people that are playing in the globalist sandbox are pointing to China as the model country with their social program and all the other creep, <clears throat> creepy weirdness that they're doing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They want it there. Okay, see, they're in bed together. This is exactly what they want. To ask the question of whether or not anybody in the United States government gives a darn about whether or not China is going to set up nuclear weapons all over and around this country and whether or not it's going to bother anybody is an absolutely ridiculous thing to ask. Hallelujah. But that's okay. We will tolerate it for now and go ahead and continue. America's Middle East policy of death by sanctions has failed in Iran and Syria. For starters, America's plan was to, of course, destabilize the Middle East by sanctioning those countries into utter poverty, create so much pain and discontent that the people of Iran or Syria or Libya would rise up, overthrow their governments, and the U.S. would install a puppet regime that we would then control. That's how it usually always works for the United States. Well, it has failed officially this week. Iran, now just days away from becoming a world superpower, a nuclear power. A top U.S. official has claimed that Iran has enough fissile material to build a nuclear weapon in about 12 days. Two of them, in fact. Iran will have a nuclear weapon in 30 days. Let that sink in for a moment. So will the United States and Israel invade? They can't. It's game over. This is checkmate. Remember when Obama launched the largest cyber attack on a foreign country no, in Iran? Not. Launched the Stuxnet virus in order to destroy their nuclear enrichment program. Then the virus got out, crippled computers around the world. Yeah, it leaked. Let me straighten out what he's saying. He's incorrect. The Stuxnet virus was never called the Stuxnet virus. That's what a couple of guys from Symantec decided to call it. Well, they were reverse engineering it. By the way, I'm having a little bit of dinner. It's called a protein bar. But what it was called was GAINS. And it was a um it was the CIA. It was multiple countries. There was about half a dozen countries, including Israel, that were all working on it together. It was some of the best code, best viral code ever written in the history of the world uh, times 10. Olympic Games was the name. And um, the thing to know is the reason why it got out was because of Israel. Israel broke the rules. Israel decided that everyone was taking too daggone long to launch it. So they broke the rules. And they took it themselves, they put it on a bunch of USB drives, they gave it to a bunch of um, um, custodians that were mopping the floors at the um, Fordow Centrifuge facility, and they stuck them inside of computers and infected it. It was air-gapped. There was no way for them to break in, so they put them on USB drives, and the custodians and such you know, ultimately brought them inside the facility. It's called Olympic Games. 
and it was Israel that betrayed everybody that was involved in that particular project and said, you're taking too long and we're going to do it ourselves. And so then it spread across the entire world, but it was so well written that it didn't do any damage to anything but those nuclear, I'm sorry, those centrifuges. That's because what it, <clears throat> what it did was it had it counted up. It knew what the PLC controller numbers were. It knew that they came from, you know, the whatever, Harris Corporation or the – I forget what the name of it was, but whatever. They knew that, and they, but they didn't know the precise models that each one was, so they, they wrote the code so that it would count up, and it would try 0001, 0002, 0003, 0004, 0005, 0006, 0007, 0008. And until it hit Seabird, I think it was Seabird. PLC controllers. And until it hit the right number, 0012, 0013, 0014, and then it gets feedback and it says, you hit the jackpot, ding, 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 and he says, oh, it's 0014. And then it launches an all-out attack against 0014 Seabird PLC controllers, and all of a sudden the, the centrifuges start to spin out of control. They're out of balance, and they start blowing up all over the place. That's what happened. All right, let's go back to uh, Clayton here. Doubt. Yeah, it didn't work out so well. All the sanctions, all the cyber attacks, and the lies about Iran, the United States Middle East policy has failed. And China and Russia now have Iran's back. So does Saudi Arabia, who used to ignore Iran, treated them as an enemy because the United States wanted them to. No more. Saudi Arabia has shaken hands with Iran, kicked out the United States. But it gets worse than that this week. European leaders that are in bed with the United States and NATO are losing elections, and they're losing them big. Pedro Sanchez in Spain, aligned with NATO and the World Economic Forum, just got destroyed in local and regional elections. But Erdogan in Turkey, he actually won re-election for telling the Turkish people that he won't take IMF loans, won't take money from the Western governments, aligning Turkey with Russia and China, rejecting the United States. And he won his election. The United States meddling in Turkey failed. What used to work for the United States is now failing over and over again. Using the United States dollar as a cudgel is failing. And now these countries have alternatives, a BRICS currency backed by commodities like gold and silver and oil. This week, we saw a new record amount of central banks swallowing up gold, buying as much precious metals as they can. Central banks continue to buy gold. Any insights you can add here and what you're hearing and seeing, Mark? The central banks, to their credit, have probably been the most consistent bullish segment of the precious metal space, you know, for, right. for the last three or four years. All right. Anyway, enough is enough of that. Um, and we'll keep on moving on. Um, and oh, by the way, I said Seabrit. No, it's Siemens. That was I, I forgot. I know you're going to think, no way when I say this, but I'm going to tell you, it's a fact. <clears throat> I was out at Phoenix working for a $9 billion company. I'm not going to name names. And I'm sitting beside the woman who was in charge of the CIA Olympic Games project. Yep. I was sitting right beside her. As a matter of fact, I sat beside her at the exercise that we were doing for this company. And I sat beside her at the steak dinner that we had at Charlie's that night. Um, and we had conversations. 
And I told her, I said, you need to watch this. I, you know, I, I said, oh, you know, we were we were having a little kind of whispery conversation on the side. And I said, oh, yeah, no, 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 I know, I know, no, I know it was called Olympic Games. And I said, I'm also completely aware of, uh, of Nitro Zeus. And you should have seen the look on this woman's face. You sh- man, you would have thought that I gave birth out of both of my ears at the same time. She looked at me. Her eyes got as big as flying saucers. And she's like, where did you hear that from? That's classified information. And um, I said, I said, it's it's on Prime, man. Go and find the, the, the documentary called Zero Days. It's all on there. And she was like, well, humph. You know, she was like mad, angry, like she needed to make a phone call to D.C. or something like that. So anyway, um, yeah, such is my life. <laughs> I know. I look back on it. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Did that really happen to me? Yeah, it did. <sighs> so anyway. All right. Next one up is a little snippet of a Fox News, somebody holding up a tape recorder or a sound recorder to um, Trump responding to his unprecedented federal indictment. Um, Not sure how much of this I'll listen to, but nevertheless, um, let's go ahead and play a little bit. Here we go. Hold on. Same thing he was arranging today. Uh, Let's take it the last moment. This is the President of the United States about to address the crowd of reporters and also the first time after being indicted on federal charges. First time in history. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. It's a great honor to have you here. and. Today we witnessed the most evil and heinous abuse of power in the history of our country. Very sad thing to watch, a corrupt sitting president had his top political opponent arrested on fake and fabricated charges of which he and numerous other presidents would be guilty. Right in the middle of a presidential election in which he's losing very badly. This is called election interference and yet another attempt to rig and steal a presidential election. More importantly, it's a political persecution like something straight out of a fascist or communist nation. This day will go down in infamy and Joe Biden will forever be remembered as not only the most corrupt president in the history of our country, but perhaps even more importantly, The president who, together with a band of his closest thugs, misfits, and Marxists, tried to destroy American democracy. But they will fail, and we will win bigger and better than ever before. Charging a former president of the United States under the Espionage Act of 1917, wasn't meant for this. An act for a crime so heinous that only the death penalty would do and threatening me with 400 years in prison for possessing my own presidential papers, which just about every other president has done, is one of the most outrageous and vicious legal theories ever put forward in an American court of law. The Espionage Act 
has been used to go after traitors and spies. It has nothing to do with a former president legally keeping his own documents. As president, the law that applies to this case is not the Espionage Act, but very simply the Presidential Records Act, which is not even mentioned in this ridiculous 44-page indictment. Under the Presidential Records Act, which is civil, not criminal, I had every right to have these documents. The crucial legal precedent is laid out in the most important case ever of the subject known as the Clinton Sox case. <laughs> you know what that means? After leaving the White House, Bill Clinton kept 79 audio tapes in his sock drawer. They included discussions of U.S. military involvement in Haiti, discussions of U.S. foreign policy, both defense and offense, against Cuba, recordings of President Clinton's conversations with all of the many foreign leaders at the time. Think of that. Sensitive facts about trade negotiations taken from presidential briefings, discussions with the Secretary of State about conflict in Bosnia, and much, much more. Very big stuff. Not only was Bill Clinton never even considered for criminal prosecution based on the tapes he took, but when he was sued for them, he won the case. Judge Amy Berman Jackson's decision states under the statutory scheme established by the Presidential Records Act, the decision to segregate personal materials from presidential records is made by the president during the president's term and in the president's sole discretion. You're surprised to hear that, aren't you? Any normal administration, even an opposing one, would consider that to be the end, but not the corrupt Biden administration. The Sox decision, as it's known, also states, quote, the National Archives and Records Administration, or NARA, does not have the authority to designate material as presidential records. I don't have the authority. NARA does not have the tapes in question, and NARA lacks any right, duty, or means to seize control of them. This is law. The president enjoys unconstrained authority to make decisions regarding the disposal of documents. That's unconstrained to make that decision. Neither the archivist nor Congress has the authority to veto the president's decision. The Presidential Records Act does not confer any mandatory or even discretionary authority on the archivist to classify records. Under the statute, this responsibility is left solely to the President of the United States. Think of that. That's the decision. Think of that. All right. So once again, dog and pony show. Probably ain't gonna last that long. All right. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Um, I guess there's no point in playing this other, this next one because uh, uh, what I have here, this needs to probably be posted on tribulation-now.org, and maybe I will. Um, but it appears to be the camera footage associated with that alien spotting that uh, we played uh, where the people with the Hispanic accent in Los Angeles had called 911 and said this thing appears to be about eight, nine feet tall. 
uh, with shiny eyes or whatever. Well, they have there is footage that has surfaced, and they're claiming that uh, this footage is that actual beast. Okay, but uh, no point in actually playing it because there really isn't any audio that uh, you can hear. But I may publish it on. Uh, tribulation-now.org, or if you want to email me at jbaptist777 at gmail.com, I can send you a link to it. Pretty, uh, pretty good footage. Pretty good, pretty good footage of a fallen angelic creepy crawly uh, f- fussing about in uh, in the back of someone's backyard. All right, praise God, thank you, Jesus. Okay, and then now we head into some of the other headlines. Lukashenko's latest nuclear bluster comes the same day that the U.S. signals um, that they're going to use depleted uranium that has been pre-approved for Kiev. All right, praise God. So things are starting to heat up on that front. Praise you, Jesus. Next one up. Ukraine's latest updates. Kiev reports extremely fierce battles are taking place. And it's talking about, you know, the supposed uh, Ukrainian offensive and this, that, and the other thing, blah, blah, blah. And all you, all you ever get, I don't know who it is, if, it, it's, if, if it's state-affiliated Rothschilds, Rockefeller, you know, controlled media, all you're going to get is lies, 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 lies. Now, if you want a little bit of a closer representation of what's actually happening <clears throat> over in the um, so-called offensive of the Ukraine, uh, it, it would be had right here. And this is uh, Putin talking about it. And here we go. Let's go ahead and play this. It is a massive counteroffensive with the use of prepared reserves. The enemy had no success in any of the sections. They had heavy losses. All their losses are close to the estimate of what is called catastrophic in terms of personnel. The losses may be wounds that can be healed, or they may be permanent. Usually permanent losses are 25%, but Ukraine's losses are almost 50-50. We have 10 times fewer casualties than Ukraine. As for armored vehicles, they've lost over 160 tanks and over 360 armored vehicles of various types during that time, of which we are sure. It is a massive counteroffensive with the use of prepared all right. So anyway, um, that's a much more accurate, uh, uh, you know, explanation of what happened. Um, and then, of course, you know, <laughs> in the middle of all this going on, uh, Ukraine turns around and bombs the, van- the, the dam uh, and on and on and on it goes and where it stops, nobody knows. All right. Praise God. Now, I had to play this. I just wanted to play it. I don't know why I wanted to play it, but it is an interesting perspective. This um, is, uh, I'm not sure the name of the individual who's actually saying this. Um, It was published on Twitter by a person who calls himself Lucas Gage. Now, if they're one and the same, then so be it. Uh, If they're not one and the same, then so be it. But nevertheless, I want to go ahead and play what this guy is saying because I find it strangely fascinating and apropos. And here we go. Let's listen to this. All right, double click and bring it up. A lot of people are shocked at what happened at the White House. Well, folks, this just shows you that America is finished. I don't even consider America a country anymore. I consider it like the EU, an economic zone full of states that have to answer to a tyranny such as Brussels. Same here. We have states. We have to all answer to D.C., a government that's completely unaccountable to the rest of the country, doing whatever it wants doing this degenerate get-together at the White House, putting the flag in the wrong position, all this other nonsense, woman running around topless. If it was a woman, I don't even know anymore. 
It's over, folks. This country doesn't look like the country I went to war for 20 years ago. Imagine being a Korean veteran or a Vietnam veteran or being a World War II veteran looking at what's going on. So America's finished. Stop trying to fight for it, get upset about it. Just let it die. The only thing you do right now is protect your friends and family from the insanity, from all the isms their parasite class is promoting on the media, specifically to our children. We have to save our children because the attacks are directed at them. It's not us, it's them that they want. They want the next generations to abide by their insanity, to submit. We have to protect them. You're not forget about your statues and, oh my God, they changed the name of the school and they added another stupid month for this group who says this. And Yeah, they're going to do everything they can. They run the media, they run the banks, the parasite class runs everything. What are you going to do? Unless you're going to get your Second Amendment and do what's necessary, nothing is going to change. You can complain on Twitter. You make a video just like me. Nothing's going to change. What you can do is shield your friends and family from the insanity. Educate them. But America's dead. Let it die. Let it die. The quicker it dies, the quicker it collapses, the faster we can get to rebuilding it. Because our enemy is inferior in every measurable way. They're genetically inferior, morally inferior. Everything about them is inferior. The only reason why they have any power is because we're not doing what we're supposed to do. But there will be a day where we do, and it's over for these people. So protect your friends and family until that day comes. Hopefully it comes in our lifetime. But until then, don't be shocked because things are only going to get worse. Wow. (laughs) You know what I like about that guy? He's right. Okay, but it's not our problem because our citizenship is in heaven. Praise Jesus. All right, and then um, I'm watching the clock. Strange things happening in Antarctica. Hmm, I'm going to hold off on that one. That one's really good. Very interesting. Um, This headline, next up. North Korea offers full support to Vladimir Putin. North Korea's Korea's leader, Kim Jong-un, has offered his full support and solidarity to uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin, according to the North Korean state media. And it goes on to expand upon it, but don't forget about little Miss Helter Skelter. Helter Skelter! It's going to get very dark very quickly. Next one up. Texas is expected to break the power demand record as heat intensifies this week. Let me tell you something, folks. Uh, I have been, you know, I, I, I've been, you know, trying to work on my health a little bit. You know, while, you know I'm not going to get into details. But anyway, the bottom line is I knew that I needed more sunshine to crank up my vitamin D. Um, and anyway, I'm not, you know, without getting into all the details, I said, well, heck, I got a sunroof on the car. Why don't I just roll down the windows, uh, bring back the sunroof and cruise around. You know, my AC needs to be repaired, but I've got other, uh, gigantic expenses that are necessary. And so I thought, I'll just go ahead and get some sun, roll down the windows, put back the sunroof and cruise around like I'm in a convertible. Well, let me tell you something, folks, that was working out real, real, real nice. Until today. Today it jetted up to about 91 to 93 degrees. I do not know what the, the humidity level was because for some wacky reason, AccuWeather, WeatherBug, MSN Weather, whatever, none of them are showing the humidity at all. Ever, at all. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, at the end of the day, whatever. I, I'm not going to get my uh, be in my bonnet over that. <laughs> but anyway... My uh, the guy, my mobile dog groomer guy, 
he happens to be a boxer specialist. Um, he shows boxers all over the place. He, you know, he's he's like a professional showman, and he he even shows other people's pedigree boxers in these dog shows, and he always wins. He wins like crazy, you know, blue ribbons, you know, the whole deal. Uh, he's extremely good at what he does. So anyway, he comes over to the house, and I, t- I, had, I had already put the harnesses on my two boxers, Hannah and Bart. Uh, Hannah is n- named after uh, the mother of um, – uh, oh, come on. Tell me my brain's going to let me down – um, the mother of one of the Bible patriarchs in the very beginning of the Bible, I'm flipping my mind. And then, um, and then Bart is Bartholomew, uh, one of the, uh, apostles. But anyways, um, and I had him in their little harness and I went and I walked out the front of the house. Ah, oh man, it was, if you do honestly know what it's like to walk into um, say, for example, a shower where somebody's got the heat cranked up as high as it can go, and literally a gigantic cloud of steam comes rolling out the door when you open it up, and you, can, you can't even breathe. It just it knocks you out. Okay, um, that sauna wave is what hit me when I opened up the door, of my the front door of my house, to take my dogs out to get their their nails clipped. Okay, and. Uh, it, all I can tell you, folks, is we are in for a really, an alarming, an alarming, horrible summer. Maybe you live in a place where you have no susceptibilities to unusual weather, difficulties, power outages, whatever the case may be. Good for you. But the people that are in f- brush fire zones, hurricane zones, whatever the case, zones, and the tornado zones, there's already tornadoes pummeling all over the place in the south. Folks, buckle up. Because I don't remember the last time I got pummeled by such a unbreathable level of intense heat. I think it might have been last Thanksgiving when I was pulling out some of the um, 9 by 13 pans of uh, corn pudding and things, and I opened up the oven and stuck my head right down there and got, bam, and just about fell backwards. It's probably the closest I've come to it in, in like, you know, decades. But boy, oh boy, that's a warning. For me, that's a warning shot over the bow. Look out for a really bad summer. All right, historic heat wave, another headline. Historic heat wave pummels Mexico and the Caribbean. Uh, and the Caribbean, the heat is to engulf most of Texas and parts of Louisiana as well. Okay, and it's talking about 113 degrees. Oh, by the way, this doesn't feel like temperature. See, tomorrow Tampa is supposed to be 103 degrees. Feels like this. What they're talking about on this particular report in Louisiana and Texas. 113, that's the literal temperature. 45 degrees Celsius for you folks living outside of the United States. If you, Why the United States had to do stuff different than every other country in the entire world, I will never know. Why do we have to have Fahrenheit and everybody else has Celsius? Why does everybody else, you know, I don't, you know, whatever. Uh, you know, meters, feet, whatever. I mean, it's like, whatever. Okay, man. All right, next one up. Seven Israel National News says Syria claims Israel has attacked Damascus. Air defense systems are activated. Media in Syria reports explosions in the vicinity of the capital. Air defense systems confronted hostile targets and reportedly intercepted most of the missiles. Next headline up. 
Whistleblower claims Ukraine is harvesting child organs corroborates Russian military reports. So there you have it. How bad is it? Probably whatever we think it is, multiply it times 20. All right, next one up. This is evil. Wisconsin County poised to pass four-part resolution to become nation's first sex reassignment sanctuary for trans and non-binary children so that they can come become transitioned without parental consent. Yes, you heard that right. Key African economy to abandon dollar in trade with BRICS, according to Reuters. And by the way, it's not just one African economy. This one's talking about Egypt. It is bunches and 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 bunches of African countries that are all getting rid of what? American debt tossing in the street right now. Um, there are very credible reports that China is getting ready to dump all of their, um, uh, uh, you know, um, what do they call them, uh, security bonds or whatever from, from the United States. It, and once that happens, it's just going to tumble down. Like It's going to be like a game over. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Next one up. Texas Baptist expelled two more churches for welcoming LGBT Christians into them. Well, I'm sure that's going to be effective. Next one up. God is queer, says German pastor, speaking at a Protestant festival in Germany. Quentin Caesar references racism, climate change, and LGBTQ ideology in his servant and tells everybody that our Heavenly Father is... Well, you heard it already, and I'm not repeating it again. And uh, I'm just going to keep on moving on. All right, next one up. World Net Daily reports, some churches embrace Pride Month uh, with drag queens, queer proms, gay concerts. Okay, whatever. All right, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Some pretty creepy stuff. Um, hold on a second here. Um, uh, H-A, this is driving me nuts, is the um, mother of which Bible patriarch. Uh, it's on the tip of my tongue, and it's going to keep me flip flopping. Samuel. Okay, so Hannah is uh, the is I got to really really scroll in. The text is so small. Hannah is one of the wives of Econo, uh, Eke, uh, El, Elkanah mentioned in the first book of Samuel. According to the Hebrew Bible, she was the mother of Samuel. Okay, so that's who my little puppy dog Hannah is named after. Praise God. All right, not that it actually means anything, but I think it's kind of cool. All right. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise Father. Thank you, Father. All right. So anyway, now we're going to go ahead and move into the last part of the show. Like I said, I don't want to do, I don't want to do what I do, always do because I've done, a, done it a gazillion times. I'm going to plink around a little bit. I might talk about it and touch upon the different things that we talk about. I, I, I'm going to do that for sure. You're going to, so there will be things that you have heard before. You will hear them again. That is fine. I'm, you know, I think we can't hear it enough, quite honestly. I mean, I really do. I, I really, honestly, with all the blah, 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 lip flapping going on out there right now, from heaven knows these people and where they're getting the information from, and they're all saying they're talking to Jesus and all this other stuff, but they, there's no cross-pollination, there's no correlation, there's no confirmations, there's nothing in the Bible. They're just coming out and saying, I had tea with Jesus in heaven yesterday, and by golly, he said that there's going to be this tomorrow, or there's going to be that in the next couple of months. And I'm like, 
Well, I've been correlating prophecies, dreams, and visions, the Bible, and empirical evidence now for 12 years, and I have never, ever, ever, ever heard anything like what you just said. And that troubles me. And simple as that. It just troubles me. Could it happen? Mm, I seriously doubt it, but I suppose I'm not going to work. Like I said, I'm not going to get my bee in my bonnet over the whole thing. People can think what they want to think. All right. And do we know everything? Absolutely not. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Anyway, on that note, let's go ahead and take a quick moment and um and uh and and then i will be right back i'm gonna get a drink and uh then we'll i want to play some stuff i want you to think about it I'll, I'll stop it and jump in and say hey did you consider this did you consider that because it's exciting all right praise god thank you jesus so let's go ahead and take a quick little break and then i'll be right back and we will cover some interesting stuff stuff to make you think oh my head hurts Anybody got any aspirin, Tylenol, Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. 
All right. So I got myself some ice and some ice water. And let's go ahead and what we're going to do, I'm going to do something different. We'll cover some of the other same stuff before uh, that, that we did before, but there's, I want to do something different. Now, before I start playing this audio, which, by the way, lasts a pretty long time, it's going to take us to almost quarter after the hour, which is going to greatly limit what I have time to do, but that's cool, whatever. Because you can glean little tidbits, little gemstones of awesomeness off of different testimonies that have been out there for a real long time that you may have listened to once. But I'll tell you what, I've discovered that anything that's worth listening to, sometimes you got to listen for. I'm talking about listen and read. For example, combat in the spiritual realm, how Satan – gosh, these hiccups are driving me nuts – how Satan stops our prayers, combat in the heavenly realm or the spiritual realm, as it refers to in the paper. That is one of them. You can read that until Jesus comes over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And you will learn something new every single time you read that white paper. And what you'll, what you'll learn new is really important. All right. Now, all that being said. I've never really listened to this. Not really. Now, the one thing that annoys me, but it's just, it's a foible of mine. It's a fault. I admit it. Is the fact that this young man, Jeremy, and his mother, repeating what he said, constantly over and over again refers to the aliens as demons. Demons, 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 aliens, demons, aliens, demons, aliens, demons. Evidently, in their vocabulary, the term fallen angelic being, twice cursed, twice dead, those are your Bible terms. That particular terminology never really bubbled up into their psyche. So there's a lot of reference to alien, demon, demon, alien, otherworldly demon, demon, this, and blah, 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 and all that kind of stuff. And that drives me nuts! But... If you can get past that and just recognize that the proper term is these are fallen angelic creatures that are, in fact, as the Book of Jude puts it, twice dead, strange flesh, that kind of creepy weirdness. When you, if you can get past that and substitute the proper biblical words for what they're referring to, this testimony has some really interesting tidbits, one in which I'm going to call to your attention, because it gives us a noteworthy sign as to when we may be leaving this place. So remember, if you look at Revelation chapter 6, you got the first seal, the Antichrist coming out on the scene. Uh, some people believe you got the second seal, who we know is Russia, the red horse. Um, that God gave, you know, power uh, to go out with a great sword. Um, you've got the third seal, which is the global financial collapse, where, you know, quarts of barley cost a, a denarius a day's wage. It's, you know, it's a global financial collapse. Do not harm the oil and the wine. So that implies that the barley harvest, the whole bride, barley, wheat, and grape, um, primarily barley and wheat, are the ones who get married anyways, the 
that that's referring to, you know, do not harm the oil and the wine is referring to the collective bride of Jesus Christ. Now, um, then you get the fourth seal, which is World War III. Now, and what's interesting about the fourth seal, and I'm going to read this to you. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard a voice of the fourth living creature saying, come and see. So I looked, and behold, it was a pale horse, and the name of him who sat on it was Death. And Hades followed with him, and power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with a sword, in other words, earthly weapons, to kill with hunger, with death and beasts of the earth. And we've been seeing all kinds of crazy things like orcas trying to tip over ships and it's just unbelievable stuff's happening. But anyway, all of these seals are already cracked. Jesus broke the seals. The only one he hasn't broken yet is the sixth seal, but we know that the first, second, third, and fourth are all slowly kind of like rolling out together. And we know that how? Because of the empirical evidence. What does empirical mean? E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L. Empirical means you're you're looking right at it. It's right there. It's not out, out it's not allegory, it's not conjecture, it's not hearsay, it's none of that stuff. It's not someone's testimony. You have the evidence right there it is. Now some people will call a headline empirical, and I am guilty as charged of calling a headline empirical. But I confirm my headlines. And I know when it's danger, Will Robinson. I know if I open up Yahoo News, I am in fact going to be lied to. Absolutely lied to. With cherries on top. After a while, you sort of figure things out and you know where you can go to get your confirmations and you go and you double check it. There's just little things, you know. There are certain news outlets and sources out there that have decades of never being right, ever, ever. But they're popular, and we gullible people just gabble it up like Breyer's mint chocolate chip ice cream. Yummy, yummy, tell me another delicious lie. But anyway, it is how it is. I won't do that. I won't. Once I've been lied to flat in my face, the only reason I will even peek at Yahoo News is when I want to know what the lies are that they're telling everybody out there. The opposition. And I I blacklist all the other ones. I don't want to hear it. I know which ones I can go to and which ones I can quasi-trust, semi-trust, whatever. Now, all that being said, we know the first seal, second seal, third seal, fourth seal are in progress right now. Are we deep into them? Mm, depends on your opinion because any time now some event could occur that's noteworthy that would literally – it would be like – the events that were occurring as the seals were rolling out, the scrolls were rolling out together, the events that are happening across the world could literally hit kind of like, a, I don't know, a slope and suddenly just go like a gigantic snowball and just go, whoa, 
and all these things just you know, but it could also drag on, drag on. It might drag on until Trump gets elected and drag on until he's removed. And then things pick up like crazy if you get my drift. That's what I think is going to happen if you want to know. I want to know, when are we leaving? When is the barley harvest going? Do I still believe that David Doetry's vision of 1998 with a giant copper spherical uh, Death Star mothership, humongous spaceship, copper. They have, they have sculptures of this doggone thing all over the world. The first two were at the Vatican Library in 2009 and outside the United Nations building. They, why would they build sculptures? Because it's their gods. Jeroboam, the people in Israel, they would give, you know, uh, drink offerings and all kinds of incense offerings and things to the hosts of heaven. Who were they? Were they giving, you know, some people say, oh, well, the hosts of heaven, well, that was Saturn and Jupiter. No, it wasn't. It was fallen angelic beings. They think that they're gods. Ah, it's enough to make you just want to, you know, rip your spleen out with a pair of chopsticks. Real slow, dull ones, you know. Make sure it really hurts. But anyway, uh, let's go ahead and listen to this 10-year-old Jeremy's visit to heaven, as narrated by his mother. The title is 10-Year-Old Jeremy Taken to Heaven and Told of Future Events, Shocking! Exclamation point. The moral of the story is that he sees... He calls Jesus the rock and roll guy or something, I guess, because supposedly he has long hair. Although, that I'm not going to get into my feelings about that. But anyway, um, I think what's important is simply one thing. All the other stuff is cutesy-wootsy and nicey-wicey and all that kind of stuff. But what's really, really important is tying the World War III event to the otherworldly being alien invasion. They, my opinion is that they spend way too much time trying to drive home this demon thing. And I'm like, man, if you didn't, it's frustrating for me. It just really is because it's unimportant, it's distractive, and the important information has to be, you have to filter out all the stuff to get to what's really meaningful, and hopefully we'll be able to do that together. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and play this. Here we go. It's his mother. He died uh, young, and 10 years old, and then later died, I think, at the age of 13. Met Jesus. Hi, brothers and sisters. I wanted to share my son, my oldest son, his near-death experience that he had when he was 10 years old. Now, since then, um, he actually had died when he was 13 years old. And I know I'm going to see him again in heaven. I wanted to tell you that before he actually died, he had a near-death experience in which he was 10 years old, 
and he was dead for a total of 40 minutes. Not four minutes, but 40. What happened is he had a near drowning experience. He was gone for 40 minutes, like I said before. When he, they brought him back to life, they said that he was going to be a vegetable because he went without oxygen for so long, for 40 minutes. And they said there was no way that he would be normal again. Um, of course, we all know that uh, God can do anything, right? Let's just say my son was not brain dead when they brought him back to life. He was on life support for five days, but he pulled through. His mind was perfectly fine. However, his lungs and his heart was not. So that's why he ended up dying three years later when he was 13. I am going to get into his near-death experience right now. I'm going to tell you what exactly he told me when he died and when he was brought back, what he told me on the details. This is what he said, okay? He said, Mom, he said, when I was down in the water, I seen this guy walking towards me. He was wearing a white robe. He had long, brown, curly hair, and his eyes were kind of golden. And he had a splash of gold, like a belt around his waist. And I said, who was he? And he says, I think he was Jesus. He said, it was the rock and roll dude. And I said, the rock and roll dude? <laughs> and he said, yeah, well, he kind of looked like a rock and roll dude because of the long hair. <laughs> and this is coming from a 10-year-old. So as you guys know, you know, uh, kids have an imagination and they sometimes don't know how to express everything they see but he said I think it was Jesus and then at the end of the dream he said I know it was Jesus but what happened is he said right when he was down in the water he seen him walking towards him but then he also seen to the to the one side of him he said there was a black hole that had opened up inside the water and this ugly creature came out and was trying to grab him. And he said, Jesus said to him, he said, go ahead and kick him in the teeth. He said, go ahead, kick him in the teeth. And he said, so he kicked him in the teeth and he said the creature went, made this noise and went back in his hole. And then the hole closed up. And then he said, Jesus said to him, I know your mother. And said, I'm going to uh, take you to another place. And he said, grab my hand. And my son said he took his hand. And he said, next thing I knew, Mom, he says, I was flying in the air. He said, I was flying way up in the clouds. And he said, the clouds looked like little cotton balls. And he said, I was flying way up. And we kept on going way, way, way up past space and past everything. And he said, I could see the planets and that. And he said, he went far, far up. And he said, Jesus took him to the city. And I said, a city? I said, what kind of city was it? 
and he said, well, everything was kind of crystallized, like everything looked kind of crystally and shiny. He said the streets were actually paved with gold, and they were very shiny and sparkly. And he said there were many Hebrews mansions 12, there, and they the were all the sparkly, God and they looked like Mount big castles and just beautiful. And he said everything, all the colors were like more beautiful there than they are here on earth. That there were a lot of babies there. And he said, Mom, I couldn't understand why there were so many babies in this place. He said they had these workers that would take care of these babies until someone in their family had come up there to, you know, take care of them. He said there were workers for everything up in heaven. And he said everybody was loving. He said it was like you were all one big happy family. And he said, Mom, I never felt so much love in a place in my whole entire life. He said, even though I loved you. I didn't want to come back. He said, I was so happy. I felt so much love. He said, I could fly. He said, if I had a thought in my mind, if I thought, well, I wonder if this is going to happen. He said, it was like the answer came to him automatically. He said, it's like when you go to heaven that your mind is transformed and you instantly have the mind of Jesus. You instantly have power have abilities and things. He said, well, then I asked the rock and roll dude. He said, Jesus. But he said, the rock and roll dude. He said, then I asked him um, what's going to happen, you know, with my mom and my brother and everything. He said he was shown the future. He said he was shown that there was going to be a World War III that was going to take place on the earth. He said his brother was going to get into the army and that his brother was going to get on the wrong side in life, which he's referring to my son, Daniel. He said he was going to get on the wrong side in life, but he would figure it out in the end. I asked him, I said, well, where was I during this World War III? He said, you were not on earth. He said, I, he said you were already in heaven. Okay. <clears throat> Where were where was I during this World War Three? You were not on the earth. You were already in heaven. That is probably one of the most important things we could hear, at least this listening audience could hear during this um moving testimony. All right, and that is his mom was in heaven before World War Three started. Okay? That's very interesting because that seems to indicate that the barley harvest is going to happen before World War Three starts. Full-blown World War Three. Okay? What's fascinating is the David Doetry, uh, you know, he spent, as I have testified before, 
Um, I've written articles about it. I've had them on the show two times. I'll probably do a Beth Stuff show eventually. I've got a three-day weekend coming up this weekend. And I may even – oh, I can't. No, i got Terry coming in, so praise Jesus for that on Sunday. So I can't do it this Sunday. But I want to get a, uh, uh, a Beth Stuff show in there, and I want to play the um, – I want to play more relevant information regarding the David Doherty, maybe even play a rerun of David's money when he came on the program. Because I believe, see, he spent, I think he said something like 10 years on his knees. Seek me and you will find me if you seek me with all of your heart. David Doherty loved the Lord, a holy and righteous life, a great Christian. And when he got on his knees every day, he beseeched God fervently to show him a vision of the rapture. That's all he asked. He had a one-track mind when it came to beseeching God for a gift. And it was to show him, that's all he wanted, please show me the rapture. For like a decade. And when he finally saw it, it started with a large, copper-shaped, spherical Death Star mothership in the sky, broadcasted on every television channel in all 243 countries, including the island nations. And he said, don't you stare at the TV like everybody else. You need to get to the store, buy some food, and get ready to buckle down for the next three because it's going to be pandemonium. The light's going to go out. It's going to be a horrible situation. Uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm going, to, I'm going to read that right after this. But I wanted you to try to do the best that you can to understand the rest of this testimony that I'm going to play of Jeremy's spoken by his mother, understand as the testimony proceeds, and he's talking about World War III and the things that he saw during World War III, remember she has already left for heaven. Remember that World War III was not going on when David Doetry saw that large, spherical, copper-shaped mothership in the sky and was given roughly three weeks before it was time for the rapture to take place. And then he saw blue streaks of light flying up into the sky to a blue object. I'm going to read it in a second. I'm going to tie it all together. The point is I want – I'm praying in the name of Jesus, please, if, if there is anything that you can walk away with tonight by listening to this, it is to Understand, we are on the precipice of World War III. We are on the precipice of the global financial collapse. We are on the very edge of these things happening. And his mother, Jeremy's mother, was already in heaven by the time World War III started. And listen to what happened during World War III. Remember what David Doetry saw in the sky that preceded the barley harvest rapture. After praying for like over a decade, begging God to show him only the rapture. Let's put it all together. Here we go. Apparently, I'm going to be up in heaven before this happens. He said, with World War III, he said, Mom, he said, people 
think they are going to have to worry about World War III. He said, that's not what people have to worry about, Mom. He said, there's something bad and evil coming. And I said, oh, really? I said, what's that? And he said, it's the war of the demons, the war of the alien demons. That's what he called them. He called them alien demons. He said that there were these creatures, these demon alien type creatures, and he said they were evil and they were part of Satan's army and that Satan was going to wage war upon this world and try to destroy everyone here. And he said World War III is going to be bad. He said, but it's nothing nothing compared to the war that is coming from the alien demonic beings he said they were going to come to earth and try to destroy it and they were going to eat people this is what he told me he said they were going to eat people these deviant demon alien things and as you know there are no aliens they are going to portray themselves as aliens but they're demons he said they were demons. He called them demonic aliens. But he said they were demons. They were creatures and they were from Satan. And he said they were going to wage war upon this earth. And they were going to eat people. And and I was like, oh wow, you know. So that was what his experience was, you guys. That's what my son told me. And what is so weird is my other son, he hasn't had his brother in so many years because, you know, he died. It's been like uh, over 16 years that he's been gone. And what's funny, not funny, <laughs> actually, it's not really funny, is my son did join the army. That is actually lining up. He's not in the army now, but he was. So that is actually lining up with exactly what my son told me about what would happen. So I have a feeling what's going to happen is my son, being he was in the army at one time, is going to be drafted when World War III begins. Just wanted to share that with you. And I think the babies... Um, he said there were a lot of babies there. I think those are the babies that are being aborted, um, the women that are having abortions. Those. All right. <clears throat> so anyway, she's right about that. And, um, and, and you know what? Alien demons, call them whatever you want to. They're fallen angelic beings, twice dead, strange flesh. They are, you know, we're, we're, the entire country, the United States of America, is being run by fallen seraphim, reptilians. All right. So anyway shouldn't be anything strange or out of the ordinary for any of the listeners of this program, but the really super ultra cool takeaway is large copper colored spherical star mothership, very much like the sculptures that are all over the world now, but were originally at the Vatican Library and the United Nations. They're still there. All you got to do is go to Google or DuckDuckGo, it doesn't matter, and type in, uh, uh, I don't know, I usually type in um, brass-colored mechanical sculpture, um, you know, spherical mechanical sculpture, and I hit enter, and then I go to the photos, and sure enough, I got a bazillion of these things all over. The point is this. Okay, so one of the things that has happened historically over and over and over again, if you know history really well, 
is when people get hungry, wars begin. Now, you might say, well, wait a minute, that's not happening in Namibia, that's not happening in Mozambique, that's not happening in, in Ethiopia, so how can you say that? Well, if the only thing that you have is a couple of sticks to rub together, you're not exactly going to start a war. But I can say this, a lot of those countries have warlords in them, and they have entire armies, and that's essentially their version of a local war. Now then, the Weimar Republic. That was a predecessor event, basically a third seal-like event, a financial collapse event with hyperinflation, which we're already starting to experience. Don't even get me going on shrinkflation, which has been going on for over 15, 20 years. You remember the, the original Peter Pan peanut butter and how big they were? 32-ounce, $3.89, last year like a year. Now they're these teeny-weeny little pint-sized things, six, seven bucks. Anybody who thinks that we're not in hyperinflation right now is not paying attention. I'm sorry, but you're just not paying attention. So anyway, if you just look at the big items, the big-ticket items, when you understand that the preceding historical event prior to World War One, World War Two, prior to every major war for the most part is starvation and financial collapse. And then right after that, World War. Get it? Now, once you've gotten that down and you look at the banking situation, the banking's buying out the other banks, the financial uh, uh, experts coming out and warning people that there is a slow, controlled demolition of the financial system. You hear about the CBDCs, the Fed now, the, all the predecessors to the mark of the beast, the graphene oxide uh, antennas that are injected into all these people's bodies, people dropping all over the place. The ones that are living with it have these electronic antennas that receive 5G signals, and they can, try and they can literally take the DNA, program it in, shove the signal across the 5G network. It hits the person's body with the graphene antenna. When it hits a match, they can flip it, switch, and the person's dead. The only thing missing is a mark, uh, an electronic tattoo on, the, on your hand, on your right hand or your forehead. All right? That's your little thing that you get to wave over your and gives you the ability to get into your apartment, to buy things, to buy food, all that other stuff. That's the actual mark. But there, it, look, there ain't going to be no ambiguity about the mark, okay? For anybody, which, by the way, is does so pretty much about 98% of the Christians in the world have absolutely no idea what the mark of the beast looks like. They have absolutely no idea about how they're going to be divvying, divvying it out and giving people. They got no idea. I remember in 1970 when the American Express card got released. That was during the charismatic movement. And I can tell you that Christians were petitioning and just carrying signs and flipping out all over the place, telling everybody that the American Express card was the mark of the beast. Forget what the text in the Bible says. Forget it. Pay no attention to the words on the paper. Listen to us. 
I pay attention to the words on the paper. And my Bible says it's a mark. It's an emblem. That's what the Greek word means, emblem. It is not invisible. It is visible. Anybody says it's invisible, they are incorrect. It's okay. Uh, You know, at the end of the day, what's important is people understand that you will be given a choice because they thrill in the idea of drinking your blood. They cannot wait to cut your head off. They want you to reject Jesus. They want to cut your head off. They want to capture your blood, and they want to drink it. It is really just that simple. And they will kill your children first. And you will have to watch your children get decapitated. And you can't change your mind. So you need to understand how critical it is not to be a foolish virgin and to get stuck in that situation in the first place. You need to understand the setting. You need to understand you're going to be standing in a line. You need to understand that there are going to be grim reaper hooded creatures holding sickles, and they are going to force you to either give up Jesus and renounce his name, or they are going to grab your kid and lay him down on a guillotine and chop the kid's head off right in front of you and your wife. It is going to be horrible beyond words. And anybody who doesn't go through with it, knowing that Jesus is going to be standing by their side, knowing that they're going to heaven, is going to end up in hell. And that's a horrible thing. So wouldn't it be so much better to make Jesus your lover, your intimate, very best friend, and to sing songs to him in the morning, to set aside special time at 4 a.m., to wait until all the kids are in bed, even if you've got to push yourself a little harder, to spend some quiet time behind a locked door, to close your eyes when there's not even the sound of a single car on the road or a bird in a tree, and spend, sing to him, tell him your feelings, fall in love with him. Wouldn't it be so much better to get right right now? Do you see how close we are? Think about it. If there is going to be a massive alien invasion where these creatures are eating people during World War III, and David Doetry was on his knees for a decade begging God to show him the rapture, and what he's shown is a giant spaceship a few weeks before the rapture, the barley harvest, What do you think is going to happen after this giant copper spherical Death Star spaceship is seen by the entire world? What do you think? Do you think it might be a precursor event to a massive invasion of otherworldly beings and creatures that eat humans? You see where I'm heading with this? That one little sentence that that lady said, Jeremy's mom, that I was not going to be here for that. 
And that right afterwards, World War III, complete with a massive alien invasion of creatures eating people, was going to occur. But she wasn't going to be here for that. You can start to stitch the whole story together, and you have a real good idea how close we are. If things go down like they may very well, and we're literally a Trump election away, a Trump election and a forceful removal and a civil war away, from these events occurring. When I look at the time on the clock and the calendar, it doesn't look like it's all that long. It looks like it's not very long at all, which ought to rearrange our priorities in the biggest way you can ever imagine, shouldn't it? Shouldn't it? Praise God. All right, so on that note, let's go back just to kind of tie it all together a little bit. And I got to go ahead and bring this up and, oh, it's not going to, it's going to give me a hard time. That's all right. I'm used to that. If a computer did not give me a hard time, I would think I was already in heaven. All right, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Now, let me go ahead and see if I can find this. Oh, there's the David Doetry stuff. Oh, hallelujah. All right. So, let me see here. Wow, so much. So, Nostradamus, UFO in the Sky, starts World War III, believe it or not. Nostradamus was convinced that his predictions would not be deciphered by his contemporaries, so he left us a series of clues to be found when he wished. For Nostradamus, the beginning of World War III is closely related to the appearance of a UFO in the sky. Did you hear what I just said? I hope so. Sister Barbara of God's Healer 7, one of her prophetic words was as follows. From around about July 19th of 2021, I'm quoting, quote, it is coming, exclamation point. It is closer than you think. The last days, signs, wonders, disclosure, and unveiling of the truth. Your eyes will behold sights never before seen by mankind. Every hidden thing revealed. The sky will open and you will see an interstellar galactic battle, wars in the heavens and wars on earth. You know, it kind of sounds like when uh, Sister Barbara was writing this, she must have just listened to Jeremy's testimony, huh? Or not. I would think the latter would be the most accurate. So let's read it again. It is coming. It is closer than you think. The last day signs, wonders, disclosure, and unveiling of the truth. Your eyes will behold sights never seen by mankind before. Every hidden thing revealed. The sky will open and you will see an interstellar galactic battle. Interstellar, that means in between the stars and outer space, galactic 
battle, war in the heavens and war on earth. And you're like, no, you say, Johnny, there's just no way she said that on July 19th of 2021. Yes, I say, I'm reading it to you. It goes on to say, everything is now unfolding. Men's hearts will fail them. Remember, I've told people a gazillion times, you know, you watch all these different movies about meteors coming to the earth, the end of the world, all this kind of stuff. But men's hearts never fail them. It says in Luke, it says, men's hearts failing them for fear of those things that are coming upon the earth. Well, right here, it says men's hearts will fail them. Many will perish, and man's sinister plan against man will come to fruition. Michael, the archangel, will step forward. Chaos, death, pandemonium will engulf the entire earth. How many times have I told people the wars in the heavens are still happening? It's not in the past. It's in the past, present, and future. Goes on to say, quote, I will shorten the days for the elect's sake, otherwise no flesh would be saved. My children, your world is about to be turned upside down and the true plan of the evildoers exposed. Have comfort and know that I am with you. I will protect my chosen, I will keep you safe under my wings. Keep me close now. The great apostasy is at hand. Boy, that's pretty appropriate, huh? Kind of aligns like supernaturally perfect with the Jeremy testimony of that lady. Then we got the David Doetry rapture vision of 1990. It says 1996. I thought it was 98, but maybe it is. No, it's 90, 1996. The appearance of a large sphere in the sky. There is going to appear above the earth in the sky a strange object. It will be large and sphere-shaped like a ball. It will look like it's been built in sections, like a football with huge rivets in the seams. Many will call this a UFO. I don't know. It will have the color of copper or bronze. It will be on every TV around the world. People will be shocked, like when the World Trade Center happened. People will be glued to their TVs, but you don't. The minute that you see this, run to the closest food store and get enough canned food and bottled water for about three weeks because between one and 24 hours after this object is seen worldwide, there is going to be a massive impact or collision on our sun's surface. It is going to happen on our blind side. We won't see it coming. It's going to be a supersized twin asteroid hitting the sun in a vital spot, releasing a major solar storm, knocking out all of the Earth's electricity all over the world. Those of you who read this will save yourself and your family much misery. Two to three weeks of trial and miracles. Now, this is what's going to happen in the next two to three weeks while the electricity is off. Within a few days, the whole world will start to go crazy with hunger. The banks and the ATMs cannot work without electricity. No gas pumps or food transportation. No refrigeration. Total darkness. The robbers, the rapists, the murderers will see right away that no one can call the police for help because the solar storm has burned up all the communication, satellite, cell phones, and telephones. The law can't even call one another. It's going to be a total breakdown in large cities. There will be gunshots and screams all night long. Millions will be behind locked doors praying and begging for God's mercy to help and protection. He will answer millions of prayers. Millions will ask for forgiveness. And the Lord and his saints will perform millions of miracles during these three weeks. Three weeks later, the rapture. 
Then after about three, no, watch out for the time here. Don't get yourself all freaked out if the you know if you're crossing the days off your calendar. <clears throat> all the timing stuff always seems to vary. It says about after roughly about after three weeks, the rapture will happen. Although there are different time zones around the world, the Lord showed it will be night here in Florida. In this vision, I was taken in spirit out in the woods behind my house in Florida. He lives about an hour south of me. During the spring or su- early summer, it started at night. Spring or early summer. Wow. Isn't that like right around Pentecost? Shavuot? Shavuot? Shavuot wedding? Remember? Do you remember Shavuot wedding? Or do you not? If you do, hey. I didn't hear any trumpets or words come up hither, hither, but I know there's going to be because the Bible says so. Well, only the people leaving are going to hear it, though. That's the thing. As I was standing there in the spirit, of course, in the middle of some trees, a huge blue beam. I'm going to repeat. A huge blue beam, blue beam of light came down like a big flashlight about 30-foot circle around me. This is why we know that Sergio Manast's rendition about Project Bluebeam is a psy-op. During the real barley harvest, there will be a blue beam of light that comes down. The blue light was identical in color to a welder's arc light at night. It was so blinding, I put my hands over my eyes to see if I could see where or what the light was coming from. Then I noticed in the distant sky, north, south, east, west of me, blue colored stars jetting off the ground, spiraling upwards, traveling fast. They were heading for the bright blue object that was shining the beam of light down on me. It could have been the Lord or an open door to heaven. I really could not tell. It was so bright and blinding. Bright blue light. Bright blue object. So anyway, these little blue stars were going up in clusters, different numbers, depending on the size and town around me. Then all of a sudden, I realized that about 9 o'clock high, they burst into 10 times their size, and I realized... Those alive in Christ were joining those and dead in Christ. I was too far away to see any new regenerated bodies or white gowns, but I am sure that they were there. Then suddenly I was taken out of my body off to the side, and I looked at myself standing in the light. That's when I saw my own flesh glossing white as lightning. All my flesh, head, arms, clothes remained the same. Then instantly I vanished, and my clothes fell to the ground. From what I saw in this vision, I was the last to go, because all the alive in Christ had joined the risen. The blue cloud with the number 21. And he goes on to say, the next afternoon I had been reading my Bible for about an hour, and I stood up from my living room to take a break, and then suddenly at arm's length from my face appeared a blue cloud, the same color as the beam in the rapture vision, in the shape of something like a football, and its side about three feet long and two feet high, white, a brilliant white, 21 in the middle of it. I never did understand the meaning of 21. Maybe it was the day of the rapture. I base no idea. Your guess is as good as mine. Then he goes on and says, final vision confirmation. He says, well, that startled me. So I sat down, shocked again, because this was in the middle of the day, and I wasn't even praying. Well, my son was in the kitchen making some tea, and he said, we're out of sugar. I said, okay, I'll go down the road and get some. I began to sit up when this small newborn baby appeared before my eyes. 
I'm starting to come unglued now because it hadn't been five minutes since the blue cloud when this happened. I told myself, oh, my Lord, am I losing my mind? What? Oh, God, does this baby have to do with the Bible? I must be losing my mind. I'm really started to crying. It was blowing my mind. And then I noticed the newborn baby had this horrible growth on the side of its head, almost as big as the baby's head. It was scary, ugly. That's how bad. After about 20 seconds, the vision disappeared and the baby was gone. And I told myself, I've got to get out of here. I'm going to start crying again. When I left and went after. After the sugar about two miles away, I walked into the store. The owner and myself were the only ones there. He was on the telephone talking to some of his friends. I was at the counter waiting to get off the phone, and when suddenly a young woman came into the store, she walked right up beside me and spoke to my friend on the phone. She said, you haven't seen my brand new baby, have you? He said, and I said, no, ma'am. I happened to look down at the baby and nearly fainted. There was the same baby I had seen 10 minutes earlier. My legs went like rubber, and I had to lean on the counter to keep myself from falling. This action made this young woman mad. I mean angry. My reaction insulted her greatly. She yelled at me and said, the doctor said it's just a birthmark, and it will shrink and go away. And then she stormed out of the store. My friend said, did you see that thing on the baby's head? And yes, I saw it 10 minutes before I came here. That was some kind of a confirmation. But, you know, if that wasn't enough, a pastor by the name of Sori Park, S-O-R-I-P-A-R-K, South Korean pastor. There's a lot of really Holy Spirit-filled, awesome churches in South Korea. He was taken, caught up with the Lord Jesus and told a mystery about the rapture. Story Park. I quote, It was in the middle of downtown Los Angeles, California. Holy Spirit taught me that that was on Wilshire Boulevard. A young man and woman were walking in the sidewalk along the street. They were heading west with the man walking to the bush side and the woman walking to the street side. The man was making an impassioned speech to the woman criticizing Jesus. Being lost in his rational criticism, he called the Bible irrational and made comments to ignore Christianity. The woman was walking carefully and praying inside without any response to his remarks and with her head down a little bit and a book held to her chest. Have mercy upon him, Lord. In the middle of her prayer, she suddenly heard a loud trumpet sound from the sky. Rise up here! She looked up in the sky with her face full of joy and excitement. She had no time to express her joy because she was raised up into the air the moment that she looked up. He suddenly found her gone and looked around in bewilderness, bewilderment to find her. Then there was a clash in the street. The downtown street was traffic jammed. Much, which means the car accident was a fender bender instead of a huge one. God granted me spiritual knowledge as I was watching the scene and taught me that the trumpet sounds are only heard by those who get raptured. I'll repeat that. The trumpet sounds are only heard by those who get raptured. So all the people who think that Sergio Manast and Project Blue Beam is true, they're going to be sitting on earth. They never heard a trumpet sound. 
They're going to see all the people missing, and they're going to go, oh, no, Project Bluebeam. They're all getting eaten by aliens. Wrong. Wrong. God granted me the spiritual knowledge as I was watching the scene and taught me that the trumpet sound are only heard by those who get raptured. With much traffic in the area, cars were moving slowly. There would not be many people who were ascending into the air in those circumstances, which gives some idea about how much spiritually corrupt how much spiritual spiritually corrupted the cities are. I was looking down at the scene high up in the air and asked Jesus, "What will the world say about the people being raised up into the air, Jesus?" And Jesus gave me an accurate and detailed answer. He said, NASA of the United States will make an announcement that thousands of UFOs from a distant planet in the universe surrounded the entire Earth and abducted numerous people around the world with a powerful ultra-modern sucking machine in one motion, promising to make further investigations into the matter and trying to cover it up. But I'm sure all that's just a coincidence. Even the Sister Barbara prophecy. All lines up pretty clear to me. All lines up real, real clear to me, praise God. Very exciting. Praise Jesus. Thank you, Father. And I'm scrolling, 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 and it turns out that there was one other thing, and I'm going to see if I can find it right now, see if I can call it up real quick. Blue 21, Tribulation Now. There it is. On the Blue 21 article on Tribulation Now, which over the years has been one of the more popular ones, there's one more, I don't know, dream, vision, of the rapture included in that article. It's not the one that I just read you from David Doetry or the one that was given to Sori Park when he was with Jesus. But it goes like this. The dream began as two very large volcanoes erupted. I wonder if Petal is one of them. A photo is shown of the global seismic indicators pegged with the event data. While the first was erupted, many people did nothing. But when the second one spewed fire and ash, the world's attention turned to it. In all, at least six volcanoes erupted in a very close time. I heard the emergency broadcast system throughout the neighborhood and went to watch. Fires were started throughout the United States, the main body of which was caused by an unexpected meteor. The shuttle was forced to land because of the meteor showers. Wait a minute. There is no space shuttle. The program's been shut down. Oh, but wait. There's all kinds of other shuttles up there now. SpaceX. List goes on. Goes on. When the burning objects hit the ground, they started oil, coal, and gas fires all the way from Texas to Virginia. Events that I saw, but I'm not sure of their order, was an earthquake affecting the east coast of the United States. 
large amounts of water affecting the East Coast, power outage in scattered parts of the United States, and starvation in the United States. This was the most important, amazing part of the dream. There was no way to describe the changes with the people that were gathered into groups. They were all so beautiful, nothing I could describe. They looked like pure perfection. They were no longer bound by any force on the earth. I myself could go anywhere instantly, but I remember being attracted to a large blue object sitting above the earth. I felt so incredibly drawn to this object. A huge object. I could hear in my head someone telling me to look away from the earth. Two different people, untold number of years apart, no prior knowledge of one another. Both of them see a huge blue object in the sky. And then I go and I look at Revelation chapter 12. And I take note. There we go. I take note that it says in Revelation 12, verse 13, Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, which happens in the sixth seal in this particular case, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for times, times, and half a time away from the presence of the dragon or the serpent. The saint, so Satan is cast down to the earth, and the woman is given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness. I get the feeling when I'm reading this that she will not be able to fly into the wilderness to her place of safety where she will be nourished for the length of the great tribulation at the wedding supper without the great eagle. It says the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might be able to fly into the wilderness. Without the great eagle, there would be no flying into the wilderness. The eagle was necessary. I wonder if that big blue object is known as the eagle. Hmm. Eh, I have a vivid imagination, maybe. Or... Maybe not. Praise God. But when you put it all together, it gets real exciting. Because it sure, sure does sound to me like if that lady, the mom of Jeremy, wasn't here for World War III, there's a real good chance that neither will we. a real good chance that neither will we. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every listener of this program to be found worthy to escape all these things that are to come upon the earth and stand before the Son of Man. 
at the wedding supper of the Lamb.
I shall lift my obedient children to the clouds, for they shall see my glory. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.